0: man this is radio and video
1: and video yeah so because uh the women like to see us
0: (laughs) yeah you know you want to
1: give you want to please everybody
0: yeah we have a female following
2: that's right yep yeah i see you rocking that short sleeve Matt.
1: yeah we we have uh 98 percent males but i on our subscriptions but those two percent i like to oh so i really have nothing to worry about whatsoever (laughs)
0: None of your exes are going to see this? Is that what you're worried about? No, I mean, oh, okay. th- my previous two exes, um, I'm still amicable with. It was just the last one. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I wouldn't be watching. I can't see for the life of me. Block me off of all of social media. So. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> well. hopefully we just get that popular.
1: Well, yeah, that she watches. Yeah. Uh, so welcome to the Make of the Monk. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Mike DePazzo is in the studio. All right. So
0: get that right uh how are you great glad to be here glad you're here yeah how do you, how do you pronounce the name of this town again uh
1: again with the two percent women we don't want to give them the oh right city that i live in oh, yeah.
0: i <laughs> should i should have known okay <laughs> no
1: kerhonkson right right Ker-Hunson. and i don't know if you've been to kerhonkson because we were so we were reminiscing earlier and you have been the accord because you stayed at my the first time I met you, you stayed at my parents' house in Accord.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: And I was trying to remember what year that was. So if we were, that seems like it would be
0: 95 then? I think it would be 97. 97. Or, yeah. Because if I was 18, then I, uh, it would have been 97. Okay. Did we play that night? I don't know, man. Okay. I, I, I don't know I, either. I think I might have been playing with T hickis and John Flower. At that and, New Paltz joint. And, and I always played there with them, so I, I just... If we, we don't remember whether
1: we played together that I night. I can't remember it. that night. I just I remember the next morning. Okay, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, but I don't remember that night. I honestly don't remember. Yeah, that. me neither. It's weird. Yeah, it just, is weird. I remember other nights there, but... Yeah, I played a lot of nights there mm-hmm. with, uh, with T and Johnny back in early 90s, and Carlo DeRosa used to do that. Yeah,
0: Carlo.
3: Yeah.
1: You still talk to Carlo?
0: No, not in a long time.
1: I don't know. I think he's on the west coast now I don't think he lives around well Mm -hmm. I don't know I'll have to look
0: yeah no I see his name pop up every once in a while like he's doing stuff oh
1: yeah yeah no I see him we're friends on Facebook I just don't know where he was I mean Facebook has brought us all closer and nothing bad has ever come from Facebook it's all
0: been good right Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm just looking at you I don't want to leave you out well,
2: it's nice to meet you, Brad. Nice I'm, to meet you. I'm, it's it's great to have you on on this podcast, <laughs> but I do feel like Matt's going to have to do a little bit of the heavier lifting, okay. with the personal anecdotes and it, memories. But uh, yeah, um, where do well, we? Where
3: that's do we one do? of
1: three, so we'll 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 get to
3: will because <laughs> right. we have
1: to flash forward. Then I don't know. Did I see you? Well, let's go back to the '90s. So okay. you're 18. Yeah. Uh, where, where are you hailing from in life? Where do you come from? I, that's I only pick up a year, year
0: eighteen for you. So where are you coming oh, from? Like from the very beginning? Yeah. Oh, so I was born in Manhattan, but I grew up in Forest Hills, Queens. Gotcha. Till I was ten, and then we moved up to uh, Chappaqua, New York. Chappaqua. And Chappaqua, and then Yorktown, and then I went to high school there, and then I went to the Manhattan School of Music. Oh, at eighteen? At eighteen. So that, when I met you, you were just starting at MSM? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, I was a freshman.
1: So what were you doing in New
0: Playing with Johnny and T. Oh, okay. Because I knew Johnny Flower and he invited me to come up and play with T and I think Ogazaki was on a few of those. Oh, Miles. Yeah.
1: That's probably who was
0: on the gig then. Yeah.
1: That's, so how you ended up at my house, I have no idea. I just know I woke up the next morning and you and Johnny were both. Was T there too? Did he stay too? T was there because he said I was looking for my glasses outside like in the grass (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's yeah yeah because i was telling brett i had left the city for like that summer i just needed some space so uh i went and um I, i i planted a vegetable garden and that's something that always brought me a lot of peace and then i was excited to show you gentlemen the next morning and uh I, I had show like johnny and i and i guess t were out there looking and then i remember making a wise comment to you when i finally bumped into you and i was like what you're too good to you you don't you don't want to see my garden and you were like genuinely upset that you couldn't see anything <laughs> you okay find your class all right <laughs> All right, I'm starting I'm starting to get a picture of this now. So I had no idea. I was just kidding. But you and I think you had slept in your contacts. You yeah. Couldn't find your gla- you five. were in you were not in you were in, with rightfully so, you were not very happy about what was happening. Well,
0: I was just being an idiot. I was, you know, I was eighteen, so you know, unfully developed brain and um <laughs> you know, probably tied one on and uh, you know, slept in the lenses, which you're not supposed to do at all. You're not supposed to do that, yeah. And then was you know, wreaking havoc in the morning. I mean, what else yeah, did I do? Nothing.
1: <laughs> That's what I did back then. No, uh, I don't, you, I don't, you, other than that, you didn't do anything, but I just thought it
0: was funny. How it was, I, I don't know, it was another, like, one I can put a notch on my belt of douchebaggery. You know, like, I do have this one memory of you looking at me like, what's wrong with this kid? You know, he, he doesn't have any shit together at all. I,
1: you know? I, I wouldn't have thought that because I, I clearly didn't have anything together <laughs> in, in my at my age either so. you had a garden i had a yeah. garden yeah i did have a garden Did I have a garden i did have a garden not that you saw you selfish bastard but yeah i did have a garden anyway.
2: so at this point when you guys met how long had you been playing music
0: oh since i picked up the sax alto sax uh when i was 10 and uh you know started playing <clears throat> classical music and and then um you know, Gained some abilities and chops or whatever to play, um, you know, a tunes and things like that. And then I got a really great teacher when I was about thirteen, who introduced me to jazz and and Miles Davis, kind of blue, you know, all that whole stuff. And um, and then you know he he pulled out an Abersold once, and I saw chord changes for the first time. And that's when I was like, what's that triangle? What's that dash? Mm -hmm. What's that plus nine? And he was like, "That's when. That's for you to, to, just to play your own stuff." And I, I was like, "You mean like make it up?" You know. And and then he started playing some really cool licks and things, and 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 that that really like a light bulb went on. Who yeah. was? Do I know this teacher? His name was John Sergenian. No, he was no. just a, a like an anthropology social studies teacher who taught jazz jazz on the side privately. Oh wow! And um, somehow I think my dad hooked me up with him through somebody who met I don't remember exactly how and but he was great he was just a great guy and very cool and you know was kind of helping me discover the world of music theory and jazz and bebop and stuff
2: were you so before that like light bulb clicked on were you was there any thought that you were going to be like a professional musician were you did you already have like any idea of what career you wanted to do
0: no not at all I was just taken with the music you know completely because he would give me a couple of records every week and he would give me uh you know some transcription books and things like that to go work on and like i would listen to them and just become more and more uh, in, engaged with and, and enamored with everything wow at 13 at 13 yeah and then he put on a phil woods record That'll do it. That, and that's when I, and it, <laughs> it wasn't just Phil Woods, it was the record itself, in fact. It was called Musique du Bois. I did not know that one. Yeah, it was 1974, and the rhythm section was Jackie Byard and Richard Davis and Alan Dawson, and I was struck by the, the energy of the whole record. Yeah. Like, not only this com- supremely confident alto playing that I just fell in love with, uh, more than the other guys, in fact, for, some, for whatever reason, it's personal taste, um, but just the fact that they were playing original tunes and some standards, but it sounded like a jam session, but kind of not. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was together, but not, it was mm-hmm. weird. And, and, you know, and there was a transcription book of some of the solos and huh. I started going through those and that, that was a big one
1: right there. So you could read those though? Your reading was that confident at that, at, at that age?
0: Yeah. Cause I was going through all the, you know, the all county, all state things. Okay. And I was somewhat serious about gaining a lot of technique for some reason. Like I wanted to be able to play, you know, eighth notes and 16th notes and things like that with some type of precision. That made sense? Is this boring yet? No,
1: (laughs) no, I love this.
0: I love this.
2: Well, I know that uh, in the, uh, what you were working on at that time, probably coinciding with a lot of those like area um, auditions and trying out for bigger bands. Yeah. I believe I read that you got into the Grammy band. Yep. Around that time. Yeah, and kicked Um, out.
3: Oh, well okay <laughs> um
2: i thought it was gonna be interesting to talk about either way but that's even more promising um i know i, know. I yeah I, I mean i that's something i thought about doing towards the end of high school but i never really got to a point where i thought seriously thought i could have did you go Maybe to la something like that no it was oh, in new okay. york that year oh okay oh
1: the whole thing was in new york
2: yeah oh wow so had you um begun studying with phil woods at that point because that was I believe in the article I was reading about it.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Um, around there, I was, around that time, I was, um, I did go, I was going into the city to hear Phil Woods a lot. And sometimes I'd go with Lauren Stillman. I don't know if you know Lauren Stillman, the alto player. No, he's I a great alto player. Okay. Um, you check out his catalog if you ever get a chance. Sure. We went to different, uh, he, was in, he was in Croton and I was in Top So He was kind of like my buddy and we would go hear music together and he's an amazing alto player. And um, and then my dad, as a Christmas present, because we were always going back and badgering Phil in the back and stuff, he asked Phil if he would give me a lesson for Christmas. And so Phil was so kind, and he he said I can come over and take a lesson with him.
1: Was he in Pennsylvania, or this is New? York? Okay. Del- uh, yeah,
0: Delaware Water Gap. That's where he's. That's where he was living. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I've
1: uh, I've been to that area, and he was always known for being in that area. So that's yeah, great. yeah,
0: and and he also. Uh, Even before I took a lesson with him, he knew that I was a player, and he he had me play in his high school band for his festival, Uh which is this Celebration of the Arts Festival. Uh, It's a yearly festival in the Delaware Water Gap, where it was kind of a cool festival where a lot of those Poconos guys were playing, like Dave Liebman and and, um, Bob DeRoe and- Oh, did Bob DeRoe live there? Yeah. I didn't know that. and he was great, so cool, great musician. Amazing, amazing. Uh, um, So I was doing that, phil would we play his charts and he would guest with us and so i was it was i was took a few lessons with him and i was around him a lot at that time um just in his face a lot because i was like being a, a little bit of a hero worshiper but he was a very complicated understandable amazing person
2: yeah you know? um so was there a lot of competition at that point like getting it through the school like audition processes trying to get in the regional groups and eventually the grand band was it like what what point were you confident you could take on those kind of things
0: i just kind of aced them i was the lead alto in those of the all-state and then i was the lead alto in the grammy band <clears throat> and i don't even know how that happened i went in to audition i played a solo on cherokee and then i left and justin DeChocho came chasing me down the street and he was like where are you going where are you going and i just thought i've you know I don't know what I thought. Nobody said anything to me, so I, was, I thought I was done. And then I was, it turned out I was the lead alto player. And then there were some great musicians in that one. There was like Rodney Green on drums. Yeah, yeah. Mike, was Mike Rodriguez? No, um, I don't want to start name dropping. Is it okay if I name drop?
1: Um, yeah, that's okay. the only thing that people watch for. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. They just go through, they fast forward the other stuff. They just, just wait for famous jazz musician names yeah. To, to, yeah. to pop up.
0: Um, um, Justin Kaiser, Ryan's brother. Okay. Um, he got kicked out also for, you know, they were trying to like keep us all in this like sort of field trip mode and we were in Manhattan and we wanted to go out and like go to Smalls and see Justin's brother Ryan and stuff yeah, and so, yeah. you know, uh, it was a lot of fun, um, Carlos Enriquez was on base Okay. and uh, you know, it was the Grammy thing, it was cool, I guess, um, I did, I, I sprayed the second Alta player with a fire hose in the hotel, and we smuggled a bunch of beers in and stuff and then we they got wise to us and
1: so you're not 13 anymore uh, how, how old are you doing i was, I was 16 doing
0: that
3: okay <laughs> yeah
1: so you, sp- you 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 took the fire hose off the like because that's in where the, hallway. the yeah
0: yeah that's a new york thing right I yeah mean, we sprayed the second with a fire hose and carlos was getting like hookers into his room and, stuff, <laughs> and he was only like 17 and now that blew me away i was like
3: <laughs> I was amazed teach by me. that. Teach me,
2: <laughs> teach Bill me. Phil Woods
1: could only could bring you so far, so far. <laughs> you really and sit. he handed me off a <laughs> world of the Grammy band. So you got kicked out for hose spraying, and and and, they, and they,
0: they they saw that we were drinking, and okay. I,
1: I guess they decided that that wasn't cool. Justin DeCholtra thought it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I've met Justin once, but because I, I didn't go to MSM, yeah. But I had a student who uh, Gabe Schneider, who was in the Grammy band. For two years, and I went one year to L.A. with him. That's why I thought it was L.A. I didn't realize they did it in Manhattan.
0: Right, I think they were L.A. the previous year, and then oh, was okay. New York this year.
1: This would have oh, okay. So this would have been 2010. Mm-hmm. But I was I loved watching Justin
0: conduct.
3: I thought yeah.
1: he was amazing. Yeah, you know, I thought yeah. he did an
0: amazing job. He was great. Always was great with me. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. And I said, "Hey, I said Justin, I'm sorry about this, they're kicking me out now." And he, oh, I don't, I don't mean, I didn't mean to be one of the bad ones. And he was like, "You're one of the good ones." Oh. You know, he was like, you should be doing these things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. But you did so you didn't get to do the performance at the,
0: at the end of it or you did? No, I did all of that. Oh, you know, okay. This was kind of at the very end. Okay. And then what I didn't get to do was like some post Grammy stuff later on, like play on the White House lawn or some other things they, they, they got somebody else for because. Bill decided, Clinton. Yeah, yeah. And they decided I was too much of a, of a, of a a liability for that maybe Bill was
1: getting your other friend's number who was getting all the hookers
2: yeah right (laughs) Bill was hanging
0: with Carlos (laughs) yeah and getting some sax lessons from the tenor (laughs) player, Sam Sadogorski Marcus Strickland
3: oh really yeah
0: awesome and uh, so I did get to do everything but um, it was it was a fun week
1: New York. I, I guess it would have been safer to unleash you in LA than they were just worried about how concentrated, how much trouble you could get into in actual New York.
0: I, I think what happened there was I, I, if I remember now was that I didn't, I wasn't sorry for my actions. They wanted me to be sorry. They kind of put me in front of a tribunal and they were like, are you sorry? And I was like, not really. You know, <laughs> really? They yeah. put, so you had a, a I didn't apologize. A, I think yeah. they were like, and, and neither did Carlos, but they, they couldn't find a better race player. <laughs> So. <laughs> so. and you know so so they you had a
1: parole hearing yeah you? wow yeah it was funny it was, was Justin funny. there yeah and he was he participated in that
0: he was just like this is jive yeah know? okay he, yeah it was just the other bureaucratic people that were kind of like having to do their thing yeah but
2: uh nevertheless it was it was a good time was it like a unique type of gig like did teach you anything specific having to work in that setting or does it just feel like a normal
0: it was a normal thing we just played some big band charts blew some solos um we went to see rent on broadway it was like a field trip it was like we stayed at the sheraton hotel yeah but there was
1: nothing normal about you guys were the some of the best players that you're in your age man like they, I, they were yeah, yeah i mean there's nothing normal when, yeah when this, this wasn't like i, I mean this was like, cool it's great yeah. i just mean like but the that, way it's yeah.
2: run like how the set goes and like what you need to be prepared to do and like cue but like I mean aside from the playing I imagine there's just a lot of like weird experiences seeing a lot of famous people things like that
0: oh yeah there was like the Grammy nominee party that we hung out at and yeah. I got to hang out with uh, Paquito de Rivera and throw some drinks back with him that was fun he was very cool so you were allowed to drink with Paquito just I mean I don't know who noticed <laughs> <Okay>. but <laughs> I certainly was um that was cool he, yeah. he liked the fact that I was Cuban my you know my last name is De Pazo. Um, I didn't realize you were Cuban Well, my dad's from Cuba Really? Oh, okay. Yeah I didn't know that Yeah So, um, even though I'm really just an American But with, with some Cuban blood But, um, um, but uh, so the Grammys was just a thing I mean, getting to hear these guys blow solos Sam Satagrisky and Marcus Strickland was was great Yeah Because I felt like, oh look, these are real players man. Yes, sir You know, And I love the way they were approaching yeah. the music, you know yeah,
1: I was amazed when I heard the, the when I went, went there in, in 2010, I couldn't believe what I was, you know, you hear this incredible music yeah, and then it ends and they're, they're children. Yeah. You, you know, like they're playing incredibly and then they get off the stand and they're, they're talking about video games and, and, and barely uh, any facial hair. It was like amazing to see. I just didn't, like, I didn't realize, I didn't I never even heard of the thing. Yeah. I didn't realize it was a thing at all.
3: Yeah.
0: It was just the next <clears throat> level when you, when you do those school things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it was definitely next. How many alto players auditioned for the spot that you got?
0: I have no idea, and yeah. I and I didn't think I was going to get it at all. I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you, you
1: just kind of bounced, and Justin had to chase you down. Yeah, that's
0: really funny. Yeah. No, I wasn't expecting that at all. No, yeah. but you know, it was fun. But um, but then, can I say I, w- I was I was taking lessons with Phil at this time? Yeah, and only three. I only took three lessons with Phil. He wasn't necessarily like a mentor per se. He was just a guy who let me. I was just, you know, he, he thought I was, he was being kind and, and I was just, he would take on a couple of students every so often that showed some chutzpah on the alto mm-hmm. and stuff. Even though when I, when I did get through the door into his house, he noticed quickly that I was not a full-fledged, like uh, musician, like, like a potter. Or oh, like, okay. or like uh, John Gordon, who was like his prize student. Okay. You know, was a, so he know, he even told me I was slow. He was like, you're a little slow, man. You know, like, up damn. yeah. <laughs> you probably
2: said that to me at some point, Matt. Yeah, when I like, yeah. <laughs> yeah but we're
0: talking about Mike. I mean, it's very different. No, I, I mean, because I really was, and I really wasn't. I really, if, uh, you know, if you're talking about music on that caliber, yeah. I was not delivering. And huh. I was, I was 16, and I was pulling some licks out of my ass and shit. But, you know, he was asking me to do things like <clears throat> play the piano. Um, and I really had no chops. So he started me off on playing some two, five, one exercises. Oh. And then he um, um, had me write things like uh, he would say, write me a duet for altos, write me a ballad, um, and write something in three. And um, he wrote like a bunch of quarter notes and a whole note on a piece of paper. And he said, go harmonize that in as many ways as possible. I didn't really even know what that meant yet. Wow. Which is what you do in music theory in college, you know? And so that was a bit over my head. And I really had to work at that, and then I'd bring stuff back to him, and he'd be like, "What else you got?" You know. <laughs> um, so the great thing about him was, I mean, he was such a personality. This guy, yeah, and so like complicated and funny, but also grumpy. And he'll level you, but he'll also lift you up. Mm. And, um, and and I, it, it was great because it was like you know, you I got this guy Phil Woods. Um, Like injected into my eyeballs and my ears, like a quart of him at 16. Yeah, yeah. And he was actually a real pianist. No kidding. He wasn't like a saxophone player comping and playing the piano. He was playing some, he played some Chopin for me. That was amazing. He was playing stride. He was, and the most, the better parts of the lessons were us just playing tunes. Yeah. Because he saw that was my strong suit. If we were to get into too much heady stuff, I'd be lost a little bit. Hmm. And so we um, played some when we made music together it worked like Mm -hmm. he was impressed with me because when we get into a group and he was like a pianist he was playing like like Keith Jarrett he was like really playing wow and um and uh he was smoking a lot of weed too (laughs) going off on tangents that I had I really didn't know what he was talking about uh but and and I didn't know much about melodic minor harmony Mm -hmm. so like if we played yesterday's forget it you know I was lost I mean, I could play, like, How About You with him, I remember, and it was fun. Oh, I'm thinking, uh, you don't mean Lennon McCartney. No, <laughs> no. I meant yesterday's, like, in D minor. D minor, yeah. So I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't equipped with those tools yet. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I took the three lessons, and and then there was really, I got the sense there was really no point in badgering him to keep going back. I had a lot to learn. It was like, he taught me this tritone substitutions on the rhythm changes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he gave me so much to work with that, like, you know, and there was no reason to sort of.
1: And so you took three, like, in a row? Like,
0: three over the course of, like, six months. Okay. Yeah. And so, but it was just um eye-opening for me insofar as how, like, realizing what it takes to be a musician and what was expected of me. Yeah. Not just to be a, a bebopping alto player, or, like, he would say, holding a, an Omnibook or, you know, walking around with that. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. I can't imagine him owning an Omnibook. I mean, I'm sure he had his own reams of transcriptions that he had done over the years. Nope,
0: nope. He said the only thing he ever transcribed was Coco when he was a teenager, and then he only maybe took things from here, here, there, from guys, but he never transcribed solos, he said.
1: So he transcribed the hardest tune that Bird and Dizzy wrote at at
0: 16? At like 16, like he said, all night drinking Cokes with Benzedrine inhalers, whatever the fuck that is. (laughs) You know, I'm kind of upper, you know. (laughs) Probably equivalent to doing a bunch of lines or taking some Adderall. I don't know. At 16, though. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in in the 40s. Yeah. Right. In the 40s. (laughs) In the late 40s. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know, like, his whole thing when he arrived was, like, on the scene, it was like he was the heir apparent. That's what I was saying. Right. I mean, he was like the... Him and Cannibal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he had that great story about how Jackie McLean showed up at his gig at the Nut Club and said, come around the corner with me and... Didn't, jackie didn't say anything and phil was like what's up with this guy and they went around the corner and it cannibal just came to town oh and was playing with like oscar pettiford and they he said they both looked at each other and went oh shit <clears throat> like bird just died and they thought they were right. gonna get some work right <laughs> <laughs> so they were they were you know, like they were like oh no look at this look at this you know yeah and phil was like so here's a guy who knows more than me but we're still gonna try and help him I'm like, oh well, that's very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way you put it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so anyway, he was my man, you know. When, yeah. when I got to the Manhattan School of Music, my Phil Woods thing wasn't that cool with all those guys. Interesting. They they, they didn't they, they didn't like that kind of playing very much. So yeah. You know what I mean? Like you had. To I like, do know. I like, know exactly like, what you mean. Yeah, I had the
1: kind of the same. Kind of experience, when it, right? When, right. When I when I first got to New York.
0: So when you got there, were you playing kind of in a certain vein?
1: Yeah, uh, I was. I, I, well, I was, was kind playing. of in a transition, but I studied with. I don't know. I don't think you know. You would be too young, but I used to study with Eddie Deal. Did you know? Mm-hmm. Did you, okay. Yeah. Yeah. T talks about him all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie was uh, an incredible, uh, incredibly brilliant uh, guitarist. And uh uh a slightly flawed individual, you mm-hmm. know. I loved Eddie. I spent but I met him when I was probably eighteen and spent uh twenty-five years like uh either our lessons were we would just get together for three, four, five hours and play and then uh have lunch and then play some more and then go home. Like so it wasn't about uh learn these two fives. Eddie just knew how to make music. But mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't approach it from the way of uh, like reading or any of those things. He just made music. So for him, for his heroes were like Oscar Peterson, uh, Lester Young, Charlie Parker, and uh, Django Reinhardt and Charlie Christian. Right, and he learned from listening to those to those folks. So when he rebuilt my guitar. So he, he we got, he got me a 1952 Epiphone Devin, What's is a big arch top guitar with heavy strings. So when I got to New York, that was, I was sort of out of touch with what was at the, at that time, uh, the, the revolution happening would be, uh, yeah, probably Kurt, right. You know, uh, Methaney and all of those things were clearly happening. So I was playing in a whole other decade uh-huh. <laughs> so uh-huh. i don't I which i don't know how phil woods would ever be out of date
0: but like um i just think they thought maybe there was some corniness there and a lot of cliches and you know um things of that nature and they were just more they didn't like an 18 year old guy playing like phil woods there and i was put right into the top big band and yeah. the, the other guys were master students and i was a freshman and then you know i didn't have much Experience or, or I wasn't really necessarily very mature as a person at all. Uh, and um, you're 18. I'm 18. Yeah. And so, you know, you had Danny Weiss on drums, yep. great bass player, Bob Bowen. You had Jacob Sachs. Um, it wasn't Ogazaki. He was in the second band. It was a guy named Coleman Mellet on, on guitar. And um, then a bunch of guys like Jacob Garchik, um, Ben Gerstein. Um, Brian Paresci, these really fine musicians, but they were all Travis Sullivan, but they were all like, they all had their own perspectives and they were, they were very serious about kind of subverting everything, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I was overwhelmed by that because my, my style didn't fly and I was immediately trying to adapt and change it so that to be accepted. And so you know, you know that didn't doesn't work overnight, but not usually yeah oh, it doesn't work ever ever <laughs> right doesn't yeah. work ever yeah, it doesn't ever work so um yeah um it didn't help me out overnight is what I'm from yeah you yeah. said
2: they're, the other guys were subverting like what what do you mean they're? they were like musical anarchists like they you wanted know, to have their own style or they wanted to be hey they was it their style or more just a counterculture thing.
0: Oh, um, but a little bit of both, I think, but it was more musically oriented. Like uh, they were like, damn, with the culture, it was more like they weren't cowing to any legendary guys or anything or, or you know, they didn't speak like old jazz musicians. They didn't, you know, they, they, they wanted to do their own thing. And, you know, in, if we played in the big band and we had to play like a West Coast version arrangement of like Whisper Not, they were not about to give you a West Coast solo. You know, mm-hmm. and so the, the, the director was kind of not into it, but it was very exciting. Mm-hmm. And you know, Jacob Sachs, the, the piano player, he was banging his elbows on the piano like Cecil and stuff. And But they also knew how to play within the right style anyway. So that came through too. Mm-hmm. They were very clever, these guys. And to this day, they, they've only been pushing everything forward in, in their contemporary direction, wherever they wanted to. So for me, it was, I was lucky to be around these guys. They accepted me because I was a good hang, I think, eventually, mm-hmm. you know. They liked me as a person, but it took me a minute to, for them to wanna to play with me and stuff. I had some work to do as to, in you know, in, maybe sh- thinking about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Like I even played a gig with Danny Weiss and Johnny Flower. We were doing this gig, just trio in, um, somewhere in the West 50s, just trio at this place. And Danny was trying to open my, my um, approach up like so that I wasn't just like, um, like speed through bebop solos, but mm-hmm. maybe I was. We were all just collaborating and listening together, and maybe like kind of, you know, painting a little bit for lack of a better. You know. Yep. Listening and you know, a couple notes here, you know, maybe a little Jackson Pollock vibe or something, you know. And and the first time I attempted that, Danny White said, "Best solo you ever played," and it was the weirdest solo I ever played, wow. and it was the most uncomfortable solo I ever played. Wow. Wow. But I wasn't relying on my usual stuff, yeah, yeah. You know, and so in that way, I was kind of like, "Oh, I, this is a whole uh, big deal." Being an artist in this music, you kind of have to, you know, have some sort of a perspective of your own and and engage. And it was just, you know, what I'm trying to say. It was just, uh, it was like, uh, it was all just coming at me. Yeah. A- and and I'm 18. I'm also so the school was interfering with my um, interest in the glitzy nightlife of the late '90s. To be honest with
3: you, <laughs> okay.
0: Playing the big Bang was fun. Playing in the ensembles was fun. There was no shortage of great players and teachers. Dick Oates was amazing. Yeah. Um, with me, and you know, he also saw my shortcomings and was trying to help me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, <laughs> what did he feel your shortcomings were? You know, he was like. Trying to get me to play more piano. Trying to get me to not play with that bowling through the tune style. Maybe kind of lightening up a little bit. Maybe putting some more tension in my solos and and you know um, just making it more interesting. And and over the bar line, you don't have to be stuck in this one thing. You know, he was mm-hmm. trying to help me. You know, and I would ask him to play for me a lot. Yeah. And yeah. and and. and but I realized like, I, I can't do what you do because you're Dick Oates and you sound like that. And that's all of your phantom busload of experience with everybody. And everybody I took lessons with, I had I came away with, with the same thing. I, they're not gonna teach me anything. They they have, you have to figure it out for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You know, I took lessons with Joel Fromm all the time. Yeah. And it, it wasn't like he was gonna show me anything. He might've showed me a couple of like, I don't know, whole tone licks or whatever, up ascending licks, you can do this over this. But it was more about like, he's gonna play that way and you have to find out how you're gonna play. There's there's no um, shortcut, really. You have um, to figure
1: out what you like. So if you like those guys, figure out what you like about them.
0: You've gotta find your way, yeah. you know? And there was, that was really no two ways about it. So emulating them is not gonna work. You're not gonna sound like them. You're only gonna end up sounding like yourself. No, you're trying to find
1: melody that you like. You know, yeah well, yeah I yeah I mean, I don't I don't know I always uh, I don't know i uh, with with uh, when I was in New York, I always gravitated uptown and and realized that I just want to play blues. <laughs> so that's where oh. I used to go and nobody i it was weird like that whole finding yourself as an artist thing didn't come into the conversation. It was just if you could please people with yes, you, yeah you know, and with your playing and and have a good time. Yeah and uh, that was more concrete to me than, than the other part of it. Right. Um, so I don't I don't know that's kind of where.
0: So it was like a couple different scenes happening in that era. Yeah. It's <clears> interesting <throat> to hear you talk about yourself that way because you're a master and you're a professor and... Oh, well, I, uh,
1: yeah, but I take yeah, I don't I wouldn't put too much weight on either one of those words, but I, I do instruct for a living, but I, I I was when I was younger, when I was 18, 19, 20, I used to Sometimes people would say You're You're playing too much blues mm. And um I don't know what that means I, I just can only Like um I don't know I like blues I and, and 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 Bird like Bird's the greatest blues player I ever heard mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I kind of didn't think any I, I Like if someone had said Like I don't know I don't know what to, like All the guys that you're talking about Phil and And Dick Oates And And um, Steve Wilson And all those great alto players mm-hmm. Uh Uh they all love that stuff. So I don't know. I mean, but they all develop their own completely unique styles too. I was just listening to I sent you that. Yep. That Dick Oates thing with the, uh, I don't know if you know that record with David Berkman start there, finish here, finish, start here, finish there, something, whatever that name. Yeah. yep. And it, they're uh, both
0: on that Wilson and Oates. Right? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. And then on the, there's like th- a series of three records that he did. That's on, um, what's the label?
0: Um, Palmetto. Yes.
1: Yeah. And I had all those um, because I studied uh, with David in in the early when I was at Long Island University Brooklyn campus. You could study with whomever you wanted. Three up to three three private instructors per semester. So I was overwhelmed because I think one semester I studied with both Bruce Barth, David Berkman, and Jack Wilkins. Oh wow! So I had way I always had way too much to work. It was the same thing that we would just play. Mm-hmm. You know, and that <clears throat> I learned. I learned a great. Those are all great blues players. So, yeah, I was, yeah. So, so that's kind of what I gravitated towards, and I didn't. I don't think I ever broke it down further than that. You know, wow. the abstract part of it. I. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't think I did. Uh-huh. You know? But but be, outside of the blues, you play amazing bebop. I love bebop. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um But no 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 guitar instructor that I had ever said what Phil said to you or what Dick said to you. You know, I never had anybody say, "We just played," and no one confronted what they thought were, you know, oh, like tangibly what what you yeah. should be doing. <clears throat> yeah, I never had that.
0: I, I got that from a lot of people. Yeah. Um, um, Phil would. Tell me I was playing too much and sometimes and stuff, or you know one chorus too many, <laughs> or um, he would start the vamp to something and within two seconds and you should be in already, <laughs> you know <laughs> stuff like that. Oh, so
1: like your ex. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Damn it! <laughs> You're playing too long. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're know, you taking too, <laughs> you too long on the break. Too long break. you know, I i you know, John Abercrombie. Abercrombie gave me some great advice once because I, I, I was, I was taking, uh, I was doing my master's at SUNY Purchase uh-huh. and uh, study with John, and and that was amazing. And uh, at like around the end of the year with one lesson remaining or maybe even the last lesson. I was like man I'm gonna make you wear your instructor's cap he's like you're gonna ask me what I think you're playing and I was like no not necessarily just uh what do you think I can some advice moving forward you know like and he said um maybe not play everything you know yeah when you play yeah and I thought that was uh it was great advice yeah um but I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> but it was fantastic advice. Yeah,
0: know. that's what your boy Jerry Z said to me at the last session we played. He said, to do you, don't... Yeah, I, I no, <laughs> he said, I took one solo, and he said, okay, Mike just played everything he knows. <laughs> so
3: <laughs> it never
1: ends. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: yeah. so,
1: um did you make jerry comp like a hundred courses on cherokee or something what what tune was it it was one of his tunes uh, like someone or whatever oh, okay okay it, you know
0: it, just, it was just the first tune and i was kind of cold and i was trying to get loose whatever. it's what you do yeah yeah but um <laughs> it, yeah it's great when those guys do have something to say i would even ask them what yeah like you i you what know what i, I do.
1: it was basically my lessons were john were exactly the same is what I did with Ed
0: John did you ever meet John did you ever hang out did you ever play with him Abercrombie yeah I mean met him and seen him play a lot okay. never got to know him my, bo- my boy Lauren Stillman made records with him and, and got to know him
1: he was amazing
0: as a yeah, human man.
1: I could see it I Yeah, he yeah. he
0: was like hilarious
1: and kind of almost like you described Phil like a little gruff yeah you know yeah. like um, but just because he just didn't have the time to it, it, he's already been down any of these yeah. number of roads and just didn't have the time to but it wasn't mean no uh, but he would just call tunes uh-huh. And then like And I remember another thing he said Which I thought this was hel- hilarious to me Which was We were talking about melodic minor modes The way mm-hmm. you were mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know much about using them uh, uh, Developing voicings from that particular scale mm-hmm. And we played um, It might have been uh, the Wayne Shorter tune uh, uh, Lo- Lost Lost and um, It's a hard tune it's a really hard. I think Jerry Z actually introduced me to that tune. Mm. It kind of sounds like if Darth Vader wrote in the, like bebop. Like mm. Always, always thought of that tune as being very analogy. Very, very, uh, very John Williams ish uh, in, in the anyway. Uh, sure, sure. Right? It, uh, yeah, like yeah. if you like think about Darth Vader next time you listen to that tune. I will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> please. Yeah. Wear something comfortable and like really get into it. Okay. Yes. Um, but uh, uh, he played this voicing, and I was like for uh a, 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 it was a major seven sharp five voice and, mm-hmm. and he and i was like man that's beautiful like um is that part of a an entire chord scale that you're deriving that from you know just like and he just uh, he's like N- nah that's pretty much my go-to voicing for that chord that's hilarious <laughs> and i was like because you're surrounded by people like miles and all these other guys who are going so deep into every pot you know when you watch uh uh oh uh or some of these, I and mean, I, I'm just it's eluding me now that we're just talking, but uh, yeah, yeah, just that he had one that was his go to, yeah, was, was really fun. It's like just yeah, total just, honesty, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny, no, that's pretty much what that's I go. pretty much my go to, and I just yeah. thought, okay, cool, that's if it's okay for you,
0: yeah, yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> Phil would say the same thing, he's like, oh, I'm not gonna, you know, fly full. Old- blown out of the box like a spring phoenix you know everybody has cliches points of departures whatever you yeah, know yeah. he's like whatever you know if it gets you to tell a story like a novel or a book whatever then you know it's fine he, he didn't have any time for anybody like that's why he and lee coin it's like we're always like butting heads as like grumpy old men at the end it was like um they played a concert together in italy with uh, i think it was enrico rava and they did some concerts and a record and lee coin had said to phil uh, backstage he said promise me You're not going to play one of those licks when we go out there. And Phil said, okay, Lee, okay. And then Phil said he played a patented, like, like overly, you know, used Charlie Parker line right at the beginning. And Lee afterwards said, I thought you said you weren't going to. And Phil said, I lied. And I just thought, man, this is what it comes down to. These guys in their, like, 70s, like, bickering over this, you know? And Phil was like... He's like, we can't all be the great Lee Konitz, you know. Some of us have to have licks, you know. (laughs) I was like, you know. That's great. You guys are hilarious. Yeah, that's great, you
1: know. That's really funny.
2: Well, I mean, as far as, like, what you were saying about, um, you know, the players that you uh, met in college having their own individual takes and hearing things like that about how people musically behave or interact. I mean, that's like. I, my favorite thing about improvisation and any style of music that embraces it, I mean, I guess jazz, but really whatever style you want to improvise around. My favorite part of it is having a personality. You know, I love players like Wayne Shorter mm-hmm. who are, in my opinion, more personality than technique. Like obviously he's got amazing technique, but right. I think of that above like, say like if I think of John Coltrane, I think of like a lot of technical aspects. I think of Wayne Shorter. I think of mm-hmm. his compositions and his own unique sound. Um, so like i I mean as far as at the like the time how you saw yourself as a musician was that like when you started to i guess have an idea of what you like to hear or was that still years out Uh,
0: that was still years out in fact i was pretty overwhelmed and a little bit despondent about um music i was just because of that environment and i had just gotten out of like high school and been in school my whole life and there i go right into the the environs again of, of the Manhattan school music, these concrete walls and, um, you know, getting thrown into Gregorian chanting classes, (laughs) uh, getting thrown into, um, 20th century music. And it's like, is it Hindemith or is it, um, Gvorgy Ligeti C minus, you know, (laughs) and, um, everybody else is kind of nailing it. And I'm just kind of like, wait a second, I need some time with this, you know, counterpoint species counterpoint. I think they even used I I did that. Is it outlawed or too archaic? No, (laughs) no. I studied it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like this old
1: archaic way of doing counterpoint. Lots of, you're following rules instead of your ear
2: at first for a long time. Yeah.
1: You're kind of... And you yeah. fail
2: every time. I couldn't get it. No, no. I, well, I, get had it. To, I see. I had to follow rules because I had no ear early on. Like, yeah, I but it's st-
1: not a. It's not even about you're not. You wouldn't trust your ear in this. You, mm-hmm. There's too many rules that you have to follow, or else. So th- th- your ear comes into it later. But oh, okay. then when you finally, like, I remember once in the whole semester, I stumbled on, like, a bar that worked, mm-hmm. and it does sound great. But I, I mean, mm-hmm. I just studied it. I, I had to do it too. Is what I'm saying. And I was in New York. I was at. I was in Brooklyn at LIU with with uh um uh Pete Yellen. Okay. Pete was running the program and uh uh Bob Aquino, Aquino. Aquino? A Q U I N O. Okay. I think it was Aquino.
0: I know Pete, I don't know Bob.
1: Bob was the uh I think he they both were running it. I'm not sure. Actually, I could call Bob and ask him now cuz it's been 25 years, but mm-hmm. he's a g- incredible uh, pianist, lives in New York. Okay. Um and then you could study with different people so I studied uh with Bob, I studied harmony, and then Pete. Pete just yelled at me all the time and told me I told me I didn't play enough bird. That's yeah. what he did all the all like enough bird bird. That's now, interesting. Yeah, constantly was always telling me he would stop the big band in the middle. I played in the big band with uh, uh, Ugano Kegua was in that band, and so was um, Nashi Wait. Wow, <laughs> and, and then we play a tune. Uh, and I would, and Pete would stop, like everybody would say, I would solo, and Pete would stop the entire band. He's like, you're not playing enough deep, you're not playing
0: enough bird. That is so contrary to what they would say and, in the Manhattan School of Music. And I always
1: wanted to say back, and I never did, uh, you're not playing enough Wes. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but I, but I, I certainly didn't. Of course that's
0: what you would say. I don't know
1: what else. I didn't know what else to say. I that's, was just trying to hold. Aren't
0: you not supposed to, aren't you supposed to kind of in an academic, Aren't you supposed to...
1: It was a big band, and they all were players, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, the one of the funniest yeah. things that happened in that band was uh, Pete Nasheed. <laughs> it was, I forget which tune it was, but there was a... I, I wonder if Nasheed would remember this, uh, but it, there was like a four-bar drum break that he had to set up the band coming back in. And we never came back in right for a, a few... But Nasheed would go into... It was amazing. I would just sit there dumbfounded watching him play, and then uh, Pete got a little... He, w- he wasn't like upset but he was just like you gotta you gotta count you gotta play us back in we gotta we don't we don't you know you, you like i think he, he might have been blaming nashi when it was just us that couldn't hang on to where one was when when he was you know he was just soloing you know it was like a, so pete stopped the band I, I, I and i'm remember again this was like in the mid 90s so i might be how i remember it might not be exactly true but then like now just the end of it just he just plays all this stuff and then at the end of his solo just goes that not that. Oh god. <laughs> and everybody oh. Pete was happy. And we all we ended the tune. It was hilarious. Oh. And that was just his way of being like, all right, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was people, people still still do that on gigs. Yeah, when, yeah. You know. But now she doesn't do that. Well, he doesn't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. It was hilarious. Right. But that was the, my big band experience. So yeah, like it's interesting to hear how different people have different takes on how how and what they want you to learn. And uh, I mean, I ha- I would have, I mean, I I had like a an actual like run in with a dude like who you know, but it uh, you know it, that was not very pleasant at all, and was it was just a galper story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll have to beep that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No that's, okay. no, that's
1: okay. Yeah, but that was a that was terrible. That was like one of the worst experiences of my life. Yeah, T told me about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I called T on the way home, very upset. Like I'm very sure. upset. It was yeah. very upsetting. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, not only that, it was very upsetting. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. So are we getting into it? <laughs> I mean, we we can, but it was just a matter of like how. Pe- I'm not used to learning that way, and I don't know. I mean, it's amazing that you're 16 and you could hang with Phil, saying what he said, and it didn't break you. It encouraged you. You were you, you're like I gotta I got work to do. That's because at sixteen that's a that's
0: a young man. You're beyond your years at that point. When you're you know you're- yeah, I was broken a little later. A few years it took a few more years to break me. <laughs> I was still kind of like encouraged. <laughs> oh, I no, can, I can do this. You're still like spraying people with a fire hose. And yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. No, I was not uh, discouraged or deterred yet.
1: I see when I, so you, you met my father, but I don't think you played with him. I,
0: I I don't remember meeting your father.
1: Well, you you stayed at our house. So I met your dad. You must have. Okay. Yeah, that if ninety. Yeah, I mean he oh. must he must have been home. Okay.
2: Uh, well, I don't know. You probably didn't see him. Mm-hmm. You probably didn't have your glasses.
1: <laughs> so it was just a. That's
2: called a callback. Uh, very good, Brad. <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that.
1: Yep, yep. Uh, no, that is funny. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, if I did, I don't remember. Yeah, he was the blurry one <laughs> 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 with the beard at the other end of the house. Right. Uh, but right. I didn't grow up. Um. I was always encouraged i mean i was i was held accountable like but i was always it wasn't a you need to do this this or, like i would just go to the gig where my dad was playing and i would they would say play pull out your horn yeah. you know get out your axe and play yeah, that's great. and it was this loving environment that like even if you fell if you laid it all out that like i you know definitely failed a lot more than i succeeded in those but they were so welcoming about that's re- reinforcing that that's what you do that's how you get better
3: mm-hmm.
1: and so when i got this other vibe it was harder for me to survive in that environment right so um i mean i don't it sounds like phil was loving and gruff loving and gruff yeah like, that's fine. Yeah. i can deal with that as long as there's some yeah when you feel he was. like it's supportive of you
0: he was um um yeah i mean i i i sat in with the quintet once and um Damn. yeah and when, you know, he said, chasing the bird F and <laughs> him and Brian Lynch already had the dual melody worked out. Okay. I kind of didn't, that was one of the bird heads I really wasn't that familiar with. Yeah. And he was not into that. And so I had, I had played a solo on an F rhythm changes and afterwards people were coming up to me and saying, you know, sounded great, sounded great. And he was like, he didn't sound that good. <laughs> was, I mean, was just shooting me down. Like, don't even think about getting, In front, get, of, you? Yeah, In front don't, of Don't even think about getting a swelled head over that shit. Like uh, you just played, you know, and he was right. I mean, you know. He still gave me a little hug, but, you know, he did say that, you know, and he was right. Yeah. Um, and oh man. And then I, I did a gig with his, he had this band called The Sax Machine. So I did a gig with him at Pace University and it was um, me and his his rhythm section and Vincent Herring mm. and John Gordon. and um, Man, I love Vince, man. Yeah. I used to go love hearing Vince And play. that was a lot of fun. That was the only gig I ever did with Phil where I got paid and stuff, but... Um, I had to play these arrangements so they wrote for um, four altos, and Clark Terry and Al Grey were sitting in too, and that was really fun. That was like the so one. So he's using you on gigs, just that one. Okay, and he let me sit in. Uh, so he believed bed. in you. He did. I wasn't Potter, you know. Who is? I know because I've heard yeah. stories of Potter sitting with him and like Phil, like having to leave the building. He was <laughs> so upset. <laughs> You know, I've heard that about That's, that. that Goodwin told me about that. That doesn't shock yeah, me at all. Like you yeah. know, at fifteen, you know. So, and that brings me to Potter. I went to go take some lessons with him. Yeah, and and that was um like when I got to the Manhattan School of Music and I was meeting the other guys and uh, Rick Montalbano for one. I don't know if you know him. Mm-mm. Okay, he's a drummer, a great Ricardo drummer. Ricardo Montalbano. Mm-hmm. Rick Sorry. Montalbano, yeah, Jane pilot. Monheit, the singer's husband. He's, oh, the, I didn't realize uh, that. Okay. She was at school, too. She was fantastic. Yes. And um, we'd hang out a lot. And Rick and some guys, when I got to Manhattan School of Music, it was a dormitory, and it was 101st Street, and uh, m- m- mine was the exclusive, illustrious room because I was the lead out to play in the orchestra. I had my own room. Oh. And so, yeah, <laughs> so, you know, I was the party room. Yeah, And <laughs> nice. um and um they were like all right we're gonna go hear joel from at augie's and i was like who is joel from and so i went and heard joel from and my jaw was on the floor yeah because it was him and johannes biden muller ari honig and paul ballenbeck good god and, and i was like i could not believe what i was hearing yeah like you know it was yeah. right then and there i was like i really felt like i had no business playing the saxophone because of the way he was playing yeah and yeah, i yeah. just could not believe the mastery yeah and he was only 24 25 he just had his Uh, just got his first record deal with palmetto yeah okay that first record sorry no decaf yep so i was hanging i was bugging him for lessons and then um that night i remember they were like all right tomorrow we're gonna go hear potter and i was like well who's that and they were like chris potter and i was like okay he can't be as good as joel though and they were like like, he's better than joel and i was like nah nah that's not gonna no Sure enough, I went there and, and there's you know, no internet at this point. There's no internet. Yeah, so like yeah. It was yeah. CDs. And yeah. I I don't want to say better, but I knew what they were saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he wasn't better, but he was like another formidable presence that was actually another alien species that I had to I saw him. With. He played trio with uh I saw him live when I mm-hmm. I've heard him
1: I heard him on recording, but when you see him live it's like a whole
3: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. and I heard that, and I saw what he was doing—the jumping intervals—and I didn't even think these things were possible on the saxophone. And he was so uh, relaxed about it, like a Buddha. And that blew my mind. And um, and then uh, I started chasing him around the city. And one time, I went to go hear him at a gig, and he was on piano. Uh, And (laughs) and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" And he was playing the piano. He was playing all these great lines and kind of chuckling. Yeah, you know, like. (laughs) and I just was like that was when I was like wait a second I what am I doing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and then Kurt Rosewinkle was every Tuesday night at Smalls that I week. saw him at Smalls somewhere in this area mm-hmm. yeah sure I was going every Tuesday at 10pm um, I think for the better part of two years I don't think I missed that many uh-huh. um, it was his group Mark Turner Jeff Ballard um, Ben Street yep. the, the enemies of energy band and um, the second one I forget that title, but, um, the next step, but next that, step. Yeah. That, yeah. That's that Ballard. Those, but, yeah. Is those. that Ben too? Yeah. Okay. And those were super like religious experiences. I, yeah, I was just like,
1: I didn't know what I was hearing when I heard Kurt. Then mm-hmm. that's before you, this is before, this is Smalls, but it's before what year, what year are you talking?
0: I'm talking around that time, uh, 98, 99.
1: Yeah. So th- I, it would have been 95, ah. 94, somewhere in there. Right. And I didn't know what I was, I I didn't, I didn't understand what I was, I couldn't, I, I couldn't relate to it. I had no point mm. of reference. Did you like it? I was, a, I didn't know, like yeah. I was unnerved by it. Yeah. Um, Cause I didn't, I, I didn't know that was possible.
2: Yeah. I mean, you a know? lot of stuff I have come to love, like, uh, especially like albums on first <clears throat> listens, there are a lot of times where I like. Approach something Don't like it And when I come back I feel totally Differently about yeah, it Yeah I mean,
1: absolutely That's all that, Absolutely Uh When you see it live And you see And you're a guitar player And you see Kurt Either I don't know what to It's like seeing You're not It's not the same instrument mm-hmm. It's I don't know I didn't know what to make of But I did have a couple Of religious experience Experiences at that club And one was with Berkman And um uh The same era With uh with Tom Harrell. Oh, wow. I don't know if you ever saw Tom live. Many times. Okay. So yeah. uh, it was that night that I, it was alone together, the tune alone together. Mm-hmm. And Tom was playing. And um, he, well, he he sounded like he couldn't, like something was, wasn't working for him, like notes weren't coming out. And then he walked, he just walked off the stage. And um, if I remember correctly, David Solo. And there was a phone booth in the back of the place. You remember this? Yeah. He walked into the phone booth and just stood there for a couple of choruses. And then he came back on the stage and I never seen, he just went to the microphone like he did before. And I don't know what happened, man, but like, it was literally, it was a religious experience.
0: Oh, he like talked himself into like I don't know what
1: he did. He told the voices to go away? (sighs) I don't know,
0: man. It was absolutely. He shouted at them. He said, go away. I got to go play.
1: When, When he got done soloing that time, though, the whole audience, all, I don't know how many, it was packed. Just stood up and erupted. Like, like we all could feel what was happening. It was absolutely amazing. Wow. Uh, that didn't happen when I saw Kurt there, but um, it w- it wouldn't be until oh five oh six seeing Kurt again that I realized. Like, it was t- and T and I talked about Kurt constantly because mm-hmm. T went to he, Berkeley. He went to Berkeley with oh, Kurt. the with same Kurt. year. yeah. yeah. Um, and I, but it was also with Eric Harland, which I had. I was i never heard anything like that either. That's still one too. of my favorite.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So in that record, uh, The Remedy, mm-hmm. that double album live at the Vanguard is one of the yeah. my favorite things to ever listen to. I know. That
0: tune is so hypnotic.
1: The Remedy? Yeah. I got to transcribe. They wrote out Kurt Solo and everything. <laughs> like uh, I, I still, I can't play it at all though. I mean, yeah. I can play it, but it doesn't, so I, listen, I don't want to play it. Yeah. I don't know if, if there's anybody that does that to you. Uh, like when I hear him play it, I just want to hear him play it. Sure, it's uh oh, and uh, guys. and Aaron Goldberg on um, that it, this so, everybody it's amazing. Album. Isn't that,
0: it's not Aaron Parks?
1: No, it's Goldberg. It's Goldberg. Yeah, okay. and it's absolutely astounding. It's uh, by far one of my favorite recordings of ever. Yeah. Flute and chords,
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: great.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, life unfolds. Life unfolds. Uh, yeah, it's an amazing. I think there's like seven or eight tunes on there. Love it. It's absolutely, Do you know that record? No. Oh, it's amazing. Absolutely life-altering experience. Yeah. Every tune. And yeah. you, it's actually Kurt playing inspired. I mean Kurt on a regular day is bonafide absolute stunning genius. Mm-hmm. But if you've ever seen him inspired live, like I mean he's always inspired, but when you see like a spe- like T and I caught him one night, mm-hmm. like I, he even gassed himself. Like he he took his hands off his guitar and looked at them and then went back to doing what he was it was like we were all astounded it was so great that we had to leave after one set our minds couldn't our brains couldn't, absorb anymore couldn't take anymore so he was on the star of jupiter it that un- night. it was unreal it was totally <laughs> unreal <laughs> <laughs> he's not gonna watch this <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 but it, it was absolutely astounding yeah
2: that's amazing I mean, yeah how do you how much do you guys feel like you vary on like night to night because i definitely have times i feel like it's almost like periods where i'm like I, I might just, I maybe overthink something or like my confidence just goes down a little bit and I still feel like I'm performing fine, but I'm just like more in my head for a bit. Mm. And then I'll hit periods where I feel like I'm just not thinking as much and everything feels natural. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as much of a gig to gig thing for me, but you know, obviously every night's different. Like how consistent do you guys feel like you actually feel at your gigs? Well, like
0: First of all, you have to be lucky enough to be playing like remotely close to every night yeah I mean I mean, if I am lucky enough to be playing a few nights in a row, then it becomes much easier to that, like yeah I agree with to that. get into sure. a zone, and if I'm playing with good players and and I'm with getting with the horn and stuff it's it's those nights where I haven't had a gig in like six days where it takes me a while to get into like my version of the narcotic of playing jazz where i feel that's that's wonderfully said you know what i mean yeah sure it makes it you know worth it where you get in the zone and like the horns playing you and your craft whatever you've built over the last few decades kicks in Mm -hmm. you know and you can do anything you want and the other guys are responding and depending on you know how collaborative it is or if it's more of a bebop setting and you're leading by playing solos Mm -hmm. which is fine i Mm -hmm. love that yeah and and, um just playing swing with a pocket um it you know it it depends on how much you're playing for me. That's why I like playing on the boats because I, that's where I got I felt comfortable enough in my early twenties where I was playing every night mm-hmm. and I wasn't being judged by anybody. And it wasn't like about how many different ways you could subdivide something like at the Manhattan School of Music we weren't playing dealing with like hypotenuses and graphs like Anthony Braxton shit. And like <laughs> you know there was a guy who wrote a tune in the big band who he he. He, I'd never seen this before. He was like, play this uh, measure for, for seven seconds. And he was dealing in, in playing in s- uh, this many seconds. And, um, you know, guys were writing these crazy pieces that were so abstract that it was it was completely a 180 from playing like a, a, a regular 32-bar tune or something like that.
1: This is where I'm, I've always been conflicted. Yeah. Because, and I, and I don't know if this speaks to you, but... There's a natural state that I'm in when I don't think about all the things I'm not doing and just think about making something beautiful. So when I think about um, like um, Nancy Wilson singing the masquerade is is over. With cannibal. With cannibal. Yeah. I don't need more than that. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not saying that because I'm embracing some kind of... I'm just saying that because I find it remarkably beautiful yeah. and I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Like I want to feel that way when I play. So when I, and, uh, if I, yeah, Cannonball doesn't even play on that tune. Oh, right. He doesn't. <laughs> but when I, or when I listen to Cannonball play anything like, you know, I was just listening to the woe the other night and mm-hmm. there's a couple different, I didn't realize there was a version of him playing that in the seventies, which is totally like, do you know that version? It's like more of a funk kind of version. Than, uh,
3: Maybe is
2: that on Phoenix yes okay yeah, yeah 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 i do know
1: and and but, I, I never checked that record out before but it, that is it that i is
2: only it. know that record because my first interview i ever did was with vincent herring and i asked him how, what cannonball i should dig into oh and that's what he told me well but, he, he's the guy to ask yeah he's the yeah. guy to
1: ask this is vince's first album i can't even remember the name of it, but rodney Folklore. no it's got a picture of him it's like red on the did cup. you see rodney jones rodney jones is, mm-hmm. is on it um uh, uh, James Genius, uh,
0: American well, Experience? No. Is that, uh, there's a few early ones.
1: Though. Dawnbird. That's not the name of it. Okay. But they do one of Rodney's tunes on it. Okay. And I just can't remember the name of it either. However, but there, those guys, when I listen, the I don't have to think, even hearing Cannonball play something that's whatever. I, I don't have to. I just know that it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I relate to the sound of it. And I don't. And I know all of these other brilliant musicians do as well. It's the, what it's all about, but I don't, the heady part of it, if it goes like, I don't, I don't, I've never been able to think my way to the promised land. It's always been about the feel and the beauty of something. Okay. So I've always been, when I was in New York, I was constantly uncomfortable because I didn't, I don't, I don't like I just wanted to play like George
0: Benson I know man and and it was and these guys were a lot of them were anti-swing
1: y- yeah and, and it was so like I I didn't know like it I moved out of the city and then I did a gig when I first got up here um maybe we should switch spots you can ask me the questions and I'll just talk the whole time does that work for you Sorry. are you being <laughs> yeah, I'm totally yeah okay. I'm sitting here talking I'm, I should be talking why yeah it's great <laughs> Uh, but when I when I first moved back up here, I did a gig with uh, uh, Dennis McCrell. Yeah, I don't know if you know Dennis. Dennis, I've heard you mention him. But
0: I'm saying yeah, like I know him, but I just know his playing. His playing. Yeah. I mean,
1: he's an unbelievable yeah. drummer. drummer. He, he was. Um, uh, he he was the MD for the Count Basie band for oh, okay. for like I don't at least a decade. Yeah. yeah. When he did a master class at when I was at college, he was at that point leading the McCoy Tyner Big Band. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, we played. I never felt so comfortable in my life playing with him. The pocket was absolutely amazing, and then we ended up playing a meter's tune, and we, then we got to talking, and it was just it was just nice to talk to a dude who was just loved music and was not. There was nothing. It was just a natural state of. There was no vibe at all. Like, mm-hmm. and it was very. And I remember talking to him, and he was saying that he sort of reinforced to me that the things that I related to, as far as. The music was concerned was kind of changing in in mm-hmm. in New York in the nineties. He mm-hmm. said because he left. Uh, I got there in ninety two, I guess, and he had left in the eighties. And he said it was kind of changing, and, and and just kind of it would it felt good to hear that because I didn't ever feel comfortable south of one hundred twenty fifth Street mm-hmm. when I when I mean, go to hear people play. But I was I would get like uncomfortable with with vibey stuff. Like mm. I just wanted to. I don't. I don't. I just wanted to play music and experience something that felt good so I, the, uh, I'm, I, I don't know if this is coming out right but it it's was...
0: coming out amazing because your playing is so strong now when we would play the the big bang or, or uh, big band the big band I, I would go play this gig and I'm not just pulling smoke up your ass to I would, I wanted really wanted to hear what Matt was going to play and I knew that when we would when, when the band would play the, the the melody part of the the tune and it would open up for solos everybody would be just getting off their ass and it would be that split second where people would be getting up the nerve to stand up and take the solo. And Matt would just jump in every time and be the first solo. I took solo. every
1: solo on every tune. Yeah, no, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> But you did. you did, you were like, fuck I'm these actually, I had to wait for Robert to give me the cue. I never did it without Robert. Oh, I didn't know me. that. Yeah, yeah, you were in front of me. Okay. But I was like, should I get up and play? It's gonna be embarrassing if two guys stand up because then one of us is gonna have to sit back down. And this guy would just, boom, I'd hear one <laughs> note and then everybody knew that it was over. But your solos were captivating. Oh,
3: thank you, man. And
0: just a mastery of, of the language and bebop and swing, real swing, no bullshit. I mean, it was always a pleasure at the Big Bang. I would look forward to that. My mom used to, when she would come see it, man, she would just, yep. So well, I felt your... the
1: same way about your solos though.
0: but so... I was playing second tenor and I'm an alto player. I, but it was still, it was still creative, <laughs> was, man. right, I'll leave you two alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh no! I just got a glimpse of what this sounds like. <laughs>
1: no, but it was, it was that. As far as like groove is concerned, that's not something I ever th- thought about in an intellectual way. I know things that I hear that I like, and I know when I d- don't like. Doesn't mean I'm right. I just don't when I'm attracted to or not attracted to. But in New York, in the, in the nineties there would be people who would talk about swing and i'm like i have no idea what we're talking about Mm. like like they would talk about it and break it down and and um i i just knew i just wanted to play with people that that had pocket that's all i could say like so the people that i ended up playing with were all in in organ clubs in harlem that was what i was attracted to so but i would go down to smalls and sit in and feel scared like from my neck to my toes uh to you 'd hope that you knew the tune you'd hope that you could comp for right. thirty horn right. players before, and then nobody wanted to give you a shot to play anyway yeah. and but, they might be like conception. It was totally <laughs> yes, and yeah. then the dude who just blew an amazing solo on the yeah. alto would go and sit on the piano and play better than anybody on exactly. that. Too. That, <laughs> so they, like, that would happen. That was always that yeah, happened a lot.
0: Yeah, it'd be like J D. Allen or or like Zayd Nasser or, or or Chris Byers or somebody. They'd play, they'd sit at the piano and, and
1: yeah yeah. yeah. And so I always was uncomfortable, but I'd actually get people would talk to you about what you should be doing yeah you know and that I I I didn't I just didn't have anything to do with the way I grew up and the way that I was
0: embraced as a as a young musician which was play right play so you didn't have any interest in like all those esoteric things that people were kind of throwing at me yeah, at school
1: uh, I, I don't I, if it was if it was good yeah I mean for, so I'm that's a completely my judgment so I don't mean that to be like condemning it I just yeah, right. some, I couldn't if I couldn't relate no I don't know what to do
0: yeah yeah these guys they didn't want to go into a studio and play tunes and play um, the head solos trade aids take it out they yeah. didn't, they, they didn't want to do that they yeah. wanted to subvert that as much as possible because it had all been done before and um, you know um, and then it was all about playing original music and stuff or kind of making standards sound ugly even in a, in a way, like kind of really be- yeah. beating it up and stuff. And um, you know, but it was it was hard, but it was fascinating to be around all that um, because I still loved going to Augie's and hearing Fromm just play like a ballad yeah. really simply and poetically.
1: When I put on like I just was listening to it yesterday every once in a while I'll go through that Betty Carter Ray Charles album yeah. uh, and and every time we say goodbye mm-hmm. I don't I, I still don't need any more than that. You know what I mean? Like I can put that on it and I feel full to the brim. Yeah. With beauty and 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 then I went and put on Ray Charles's Christmas album and he sings yeah. that Spirit of Christmas which was in the movie A Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. Oh, okay. oh yeah. And you know do you know you know that movie? Many times over, right. So when he goes into the attic and he gets locked in the attic, of course, that's the, and he's crying and he's, he's
0: like, he's watching the old videos yes, and that tune's fun.
1: And that tune's fun. And then like, like that's how emo. That tune is Ray is so emotionally deep that I can go through every decade of my life with that in the background, and, and I don't need more than that. so yeah. I don't know if that's a shortcoming, but nah. it's. But sometimes you feel I when I was younger, I felt like it was. Because Me too. The cats that you know that you would go that were like on top of that scene. I I just couldn't. I had a heart, I couldn't relate to the humanity of it. Right, And right. that's what I was lo- I was looking for. And right. I felt lonely sometimes. Yeah, that's know?
0: why I was happy to have my friend Rick Montalbano because he was coming from upstate in Albany and his dad's a piano player and he was playing a lot with like Nick Brignola and it was all like swing gigs and stuff and he was swinging his ass off. Nick's
1: a bad, Nick was a bad dude. Well, because yeah.
0: uh, Rich and Jeff, right? Weren't those his, uh, Rich Syracuse and, I mean, and, Siegel, and yeah. Jeff Siegel? Yeah. Jeff Siegel, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Rick, um, my friend Rick, he, he, he would, was kind of with me in, insofar as he, he was like, I, he felt so pressured to be creative because he was around all these creative people that were <clears> doing all these other things. Um, and he was like, man, I just let, wanna, I remember he said, I just wanna hear Art Blakey's ride symbol all day, man. That's right. You know? And so I, we were in cahoots that way. Yeah. I just wanted to hear my guys and you know yeah. my favorite sax players and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah, man um And so there was that sort of dichotomy, and there were there were camps, there were in cliques, and there still still are in Manhattan. Sure, yeah. like a couple of years ago, I was playing with the Fat Cat Big Band, right? Okay, do you know them at all? I
1: I said at the Fat Cat, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if I Greg Greg Glassman always played at the Fat Cat, so I don't know. Yeah, if he was Greg in that.
0: Greg was playing all all time. He probably subs on that band. He, okay. he wasn't there when I was doing the Fat Cat. I was subbing on the Fat Cat Big Band. Is this guitar player, composer is the leader. His name is Jade Sistilian. Okay, And he, he, he's an amazing arranger composer and his tunes are not easy. And so you like Frank Lacy is in it and Stacy Dillard and. Oh, okay. Yep. So we'd go play these gigs. And I remember one time I was playing and met Miles Okazaki and Dan Weiss came down to play chess, you know, they're big chess heads. Mm-hmm. They play chess music in fact. And uh, <laughs> I mean, it's great. I don't know if you heard their latest duo record, The Memory Palace. It's unbelievable. No, very, I very, don't know. very, very sophisticated, heavy. I'll Love know. to check it out. It's really something. T gave me Miles' book The <laughs> Fundamentals of Guitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't, that doesn't make any sense to me. I understand it's heavy. Me either. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm all kidding. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a piece of work, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. I mean, absolutely.
0: That's where that guy's at. You
1: know yeah. No, he is. always was like, that. I mean, oh, I know. Yeah. I, I think I met him once because him and Johnny, didn't they live together or they were mm-hmm. they were close? Very close friends. So yeah, I, I met are, them. Yeah. This is Johnny Flower again. Bass player. Yep. <clears throat> Whom I miss? Haven't seen him in forever. Some um, um, but, five uh, years ago. Okay. He came, he was in town at Apple, Applehead Studios for a night and oh, I went over and oh, said hello. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah um what was I? miles uh Uh, they came they came to play chess and i went over to say hi with them and me hi to them and they were and it was interesting to me uh the point is i think they were coming from the 55 bar Mm -hmm. and and uh danny was like who's that drummer he sounds really good i'm like that's phil stewart that's grant stewart's brother you know like you guys have been playing across the street from each other for only the last 20 years whatever, <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and you know, Phil Stewart was like, I was like, hey, you know Danny Weiss? And he's like, no, and I was like, what? And then the guitar player, Jade, I was like, this, uh, Miles kind of came over to say hello, and and I said, um this is Miles Ogazaki, and he went, I don't know who that is. And I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> I know who, who all you guys are. <laughs> I listen to all you guys. Yeah. So yeah. there was always like these camps, like the 55 bar is like Dave Binney's world and um you know um Donnie McCaslin and like yeah. you know, um, 90s crisscross vibes yep. and then you had Smalls and Fat Cat which was like bebop and you know Tad Dameron tunes and things like that and they didn't really know each other yeah. so it was very divisive you know which made it more confusing to me because I didn't know where I belonged and you know? I was and it
1: was uptown
0: and we were playing blues mm-hmm. and or
1: singing gospel too, because I played with the a, 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 he, uh, one of them was Jimmy Preacher Robbins, and he used to sing. Great singer, uh, probably a better singer than organist. But he uh-huh. could totally light the room on fire with one chord and one groove, and it would be amazing.
0: Did you play with Celino Clark? Yeah, chance? sure. Okay.
1: Yeah, when I so, I'm not regularly. I was regularly in Preacher's band, and mm-hmm. we used to play between Showman's Wells, which was on I think one thirty eighth, and then. uh uh, there was the lickety split. and there was, Anyway, I just was very, I just was blues all night long or, or um, some rhythm changes mm-hmm. or standards, but done in that Brother Jack, George Benson, Sonny State. Yeah, that was
0: your milieu. Was... That was
1: what I wanted. So I i just, there was no talking about it. There was no, th- like, we just played tunes. Mm-hmm. And I always just felt at home there because that's the way I grew up. Yeah. And there was support. And the other place was, uh, 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 saint nick's pub yeah where patience higgins ran the session i don't know if mm-hmm. you did you know patience i don't know who he is yeah yeah, yeah he was a, a tenor saxophonist he used to yeah. run the anyway they were just like if you could play they, they would encourage you and it was just fun that's what that's still what i would just cool. want to do yeah. yeah
0: but you know dick Oates would tell me you can't just go out there and play a foggy day man you can't just go out there. you know you have to write your own tunes and you gotta have your own sure. stuff and You know, just when I was studying with the Goats was when he just made his first record as a leader for Steeplechase. And then he started making all of them uh, next ones in succession with all original tunes, quintets, quartets with Bruce Barthes. And, and, you know, Joe Magnarelli's. and, and, And so he was just finding his musical voice after all those years playing with like the big bands and Red Rodney and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like not ready to write my own tunes and record them. At all. Okay. In fact, after, and I hope I'm not jumping the gun here and talking about myself too much, but. Well, oh, we are interviewing you. Okay. the um, we, we might have to cut out the part where we were like, you know, sounding a little... I don't know what I sounded like there, but that might be an edit. You sound
2: very fond of
3: each other. That might have to be
0: an edit. I I, my mom came into it at one point. Um, she was at a concert, that's all. She liked it, all right? It's not a big deal. Uh, so... Uh, come on we're nerdy jazz musicians (laughs) we don't have to be that cool all the time it's okay it's true um (laughs) um but I left the Manhattan School of Music after three semesters because I was just I don't know I'd had enough I um I got put on academic probation because I I was really partying a lot and hanging out um in downtown uptown east west um in town in town <laughs> i was so interested in hanging out because i was a kid man yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and it's a scene and yeah, yeah and going to hear freaking um Paul motion electric bebop band it's sweet basil then going to hear omar abital's band with joel from grant stewart and and um charles owens like playing amazing at like 2 a.m and like was that she- at smalls mm-hmm. and you know there was uh, so many spots like yeah angry squire was still there i think Wait, is Omar, let me talk, that's the bass player. Bass player, yeah. He had
1: a band that was like every, I used to go every week to hear him play. Yeah. Unbelievable. And yeah. he wrote all the tunes. Yeah. And that's the first time I had heard Myron Walden. And Myron was in it too. Myron was, like in, okay. Screaming alpha <laughs> playing. <laughs> I didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. But like, I used to and, see you know, him every...
0: Screaming and then also going, woo, like at his own playing, like, woo. And like, I thought that was weird. I, said, I thought I'll never, I'm never going to do that, but and you know, then I don't know what that's about but <laughs> or I saw that tenor player Eli Dijibri did more screaming during his solo than actual playing oh I don't know who that is Israeli tenor player okay um, anyway but off topic I went but um, um, I, I left the school because I, I was done being in a classroom trying to figure out music in an academic setting for a while mm-hmm. and I thought why not why not take a break yeah, yeah. I, di- I, hadn't, I didn't have an interest in, in completing a bachelor's degree for whatever reason I don't know what it was I just was like, let me give me let me let me out of here for a minute. Yeah. And so I banged around for the city for about a year and I was just doing like jobs because throughout this whole time I needed money too. Yeah. Um yeah, I was I working understand. I was working a job backstage at the Manhattan School of Music as a stagehand. Um which was pretty cool. Um, uh, what was the
1: guy who ran the studio then? His name was Tyler. Oh, okay, it's different than when I was.
0: Okay. okay. There was a guy
1: who did that job for a long time that a friend of mine also worked with.
0: I just can't remember his name.
1: Okay. It was Tyler. But, okay. Okay. You
0: know. Yeah. You know, being a stagehand and like setting up the yep. um, operas and yep. and um, and um, um, painting percussion pet cabinets and things because yep. I needed money too. Yeah, yeah. And it's um, so always know, the dilemma in New York. I know. I mean, yeah. I you know, I I I sat in with um, Ballenbeck a few months ago in Queens, and I was telling him how much I loved when he played with Fromm mm-hmm. at Augie's, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I remember when Joel called me for that." He was like, "Hey, um, I don't know if you're into it, but I'm doing this gig at Oggies with Johannes Weidmuller and uh, Ari Honig, and it pays ninety bucks." And Paul Bellamy was like, "Oh, ninety? That's not bad." And Joel was like, "Well, ninety for the band." <laughs> and and I and that just hit me a few months. This past summer, I was like, "All that amazing music uh, I heard, and you were making like fifteen bucks, like." you know and joel was passing the hat around and the music was like off the charts amazing and that you know yeah i used to live just right around the corner from that i used to go there a lot yeah Yeah. and so um for a year i just kind of (laughs) bummed yeah 90 that's what he said (laughs) no i'm not kidding um it's absurd yeah so i bummed around i was working like messenger jobs driving jobs video stores I was a messenger too yeah or bike i'm both (laughs) yeah You had to take your life in your hands as a bike. I did as a a bike. I did a few times. I I got run over a few times.
1: I don't. I mean, it was so scary. Yeah, it was. It was. I I did mine on foot. Mm -hmm. I only did foot. I used to walk like seven, eight miles a day.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Eventually, I moved into the printing company and became a job tracker so that I didn't get killed. You worked at a printing company? Yeah. I worked at a screen printing company. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right on 21st Street. Holy cow. Yeah. 59th. Mm 57th. Yeah. Yeah. And but it was liberating to be out of school for you know, the academic world for a minute you know, and um, it could it was probably frowned upon because everybody else was still <clears> plugging away, and I felt weird about leaving, like leaving the school. Yeah, yeah. And then after about a year, I thought, let me go back, but let me go to the new school. So I did a semester at the new school, and there were a lot of great players there. What year is this now? Two thousand one. Okay. Um, that sinister year did anything else
1: happen in 2001
0: yeah it's crazy yeah um and so that was crazy because i was in a different headspace um and there were some other players and it was like now it was like reggie workman and and i auditioned for reggie uh but that would have been 92 okay he was great i was in a class with him and jackal bro was in it oh okay danish guitar player you know him Mm -mm. oh he's a great player uh He's Not doing the kind of like ethereal music he's doing now, but he was crushing bebop in Mm. in all 12 keys and all that, and he was amazing. I remember what I remember about about that was Robert Glasper. Uh huh. So I was in Reggie working with the Coltrane ensemble with EJ Strickland on drums, and I'm 20, and I haven't still, I'm not too sure of myself, you know, at all. Whatever, (laughs) I was trying to eke along my bachelor's degree for whatever reason, yep, and um, have some structure, and uh uh glasper would come in and he, he didn't play piano he played drums and vibes and when he played drums his sole motivation was to throw everybody off uh-huh playing like hard-ass Coltrane tunes <laughs> i mean he i tried to play countdown and he, he kept flipping the beat around on me and um you know the bass player's again was that swedish guy johannes weidenmuller he okay. was flipping around the time too laughing his ass off it was hilarious <laughs> and at one point i had to stop because i was so lost yeah. and i saw that they were that was what they were trying to do not yeah. make music with me but get me right, right, right and um i stopped and they all were laughing and reggie kind of was snarkily laughing and he went ha, what are you gonna do now <laughs> So I thought, all right, this is my last semester here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I left the new school. Yeah. I did take some cool uh, on-camera acting classes there, though. Damn. That was a lot of fun. Okay. I, I had a crazy obsession with learning about acting technique. I did I did too. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. in college, sure. Yeah.
1: yeah did I, I, you ever take any classes or anything? In college, yeah. Oh, I, cool. thought, I thought that it was... Uh, I definitely was considering Mm -hmm. doing something along those lines yeah man so yeah Yeah. i enjoyed it
0: very much yeah yeah i took some classes at hb studios on bank street okay um and was like technique and scene study i did a scene study thing yeah yeah and i had a
1: good friend who was also an actor so we used to hang out and do scenes together just for the hell of it yeah and you know and when you're in
0: manhattan in the late 90s i mean i was a big big um and I was obsessed with all the films that were coming out, and in, especially the independent films. And you, could, you would see a lot of uh, indie film actors walking around all the time. Man, mm-hmm. I was always bumping into like those actors. Like I'd go to like art galleries and drink the free wine on the Lower <laughs> East Side, and there would be like you know <laughs> actors there. There would be like D- Dennis Hopper or Dustin Hoffman or Kevin Corian. Wow. Or... I never saw any of those dudes. I saw these people, you know. And some of them I talked to, some of them I didn't. Some of the lesser-known actors, I could give them lines to from their films and they'd be like oh you know my shit you know like um from that whole 90s indie you know wave so yeah. i mean manhattan was exciting enough for me to be around than just to be at the manhattan school of music
3: my yeah. day
1: job in manhattan was working in a health food store uh-huh. so uh, i used to there's an actor who used to come you, you probably if you know him i would be astounded his name is pj brown but he's the cop that gets beat up in the matt damon ed norton movie Rounders. rounders and he was, before Rounders came out, this dude, he used to come in with his wife and his daughter, and I used to wait on them all the time. We used to talk all the time. And then I was like, what, you know, what are you doing? Because he's a, he's a professional actor. So I went and saw him in a play with, uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, from my cousin Vinny. She won the album. Uh, he was in a play with Marissa Tomei. Oh, wow. And then I saw, so he gave me tickets to that. Mm-hmm. And then he was uh, uh, he was on an episode of the, of the Cosby show. So mm-hmm. I went and saw the filming of that and was with... Uh, uh, Madeline Kahn you oh, know, wow. got to see her live and then he just when I was leaving New York he did that movie and I got to see that so I remember doing you know kind of hinting at his lines after I saw it when, uh-huh. I, when I bumped into him but there was a lot of people like that like you said I didn't think about it but then I just remembered that this guy was just a dude who lived on the Upper East Side right and used to come in and buy uh, organic broccoli
0: oh, right. but yeah. but
1: cops don't get beat up Rounders. the cops beat them up <clears throat> Oh, you're so right. I'm sorry. So I'm trying to think of which cop he No was. no no. He he's the cop that's sitting at the table and he grabs Oh, that scary that's, guy? That's PJ Brown. Yeah. yeah. Wow. He the, grabs Ed Norton's hand. Yeah, I caught a I caught,
3: caught a, a hanger.
0: hanger. <laughs> caught a hanger, sir. Sorry. A, a, a what? A, a hanger. hanger? A what? Yeah. He says you're dealing off the bottom of the deck of the cards. So that's exactly what a hanger yeah. it is. And then he yeah. makes him pull the
1: car. He says if this car doesn't help you yeah. Well, listen to what you have to say. <laughs>
3: you know?
1: It's a great movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. And he was, that's him. That's he was, I don't know what else he's going on to do because I left wow. New York that same Was he year. that intimidating in person? No, he was the sweetest. He right. was, oh, the, it's
0: amazing the way he's studying when Edward Norton's dealing and before he grabs yeah, his hand. totally. Yeah, I watched
1: that he's scene like, a lot. Edward Norton's like, don't get so agitated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I didn't think of that, but he's, it's funny. He's base dealing. <laughs> he's base dealing. That was what, that's what it was. It's so funny that we've had like, we had like the same, and I left a year later. So like when you were doing the new school, I had, I had already moved up here.
0: Okay, okay. So, uh, so let's superimpose us saying the hanger together over us giving each other props like a bunch yep. of idiots. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's
3: just let's cut
0: that over that. Make us look cool. Yeah, <laughs> for the 2%. The 2% of okay. the, oh, of the ladies that are watching. That are watching, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, man. So um, so I did the new school, and then can I move along with my trajectory in my life? Um, yes, please. Well, I,
2: I feel like I had a question in there. We, we covered so many things. Like Rounders. Sort of- it's Matt Damon, Ed Norton. <laughs> right. Directed by John Dahl. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Red Rock
0: West, The Last Seduction. Good
2: God. Um, what were we saying just before that? Oh, man. Um, um, I don't know. Base it- stealing? Poker?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, your last semester to do new school, so where did you go? You were saying where you were going from there, but
2: I don't know if that's what... You had a question, man. Um. Well, I, I mean, I. one thing I guess I was thinking about before on that, Side of things, like we, you know, especially when you said, like, Phil Woods didn't mm-hmm. necessarily believe in transcribing, you know, you're talking about not always feeling like connected to the scene or like how everyone's kind of trying to conceptualize music. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's really hard to be objective about mm-hmm. your own development. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I mean, at that time, was there any particular like checks that? You like were you enjoying getting like reality checks at that point, or was it all just like drudgery when things like that would come up?
0: no because i was I was young and I was full of piss and vinegar about everything I was doing i wasn't I wasn't um despondent about anything. I was still playing a lot of gigs uh, um, Johnny and miles were and I were playing a gig at an oyster bar a few times a few nights a week um on 21st street, not uh, just trio. Oh no! Nice. Jay used to come by and stuff. Jay Anderson, yep, and um, or he came by at least once. I should, yep. you know, he didn't used to come by. He came, I think he came by once, <laughs> um, to see Johnny because Johnny was studying with <laughs> him, him. And Johnny are very close. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was playing. Also, I was playing a lot of gigs, and I was going to the jam sessions at Smalls. And Fromm was very nice. Joel, he would let me sit in and stuff a lot. He would always let me sit in That's for like nice. the last tune or the last two tunes. So I, I was always playing. I I wasn't like dropping the whole thing. I just, I wasn't like um, trying to proactively push myself into music and a career like some of these guys who've done very well with it, you Mm -hmm. know, like a Miguel Zenon or somebody like that. Or I wasn't uh, doing that. I was just kind of a screw up kind of like, um, I was just, uh, it, M-
1: Miguel Zena I don't know who that Miguel is Miguel Zenon Yeah I don't Zenon?
0: know Zenon He's a Puerto Rican saxophone player He won the McCarthy Grant. Oh shoot And he's got a lot of records And his music is insane Wow Okay a, I'll have to check uh, him out alto player yeah Wow And he was at the Manhattan School of Music too
1: I was gonna make a joke about his name But now I'm not Uh huh Uh huh <laughs> It just sounds like a lovely IPA. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I shouldn't say that when I haven't. He's not him. gonna be watching <laughs> this. <laughs> so.
0: um, he's, busy, he's busy writing sweets for the for the San Francisco Jazz Collective or something. Wow. But um I just saw guys that were taking matters into their own in hands and I was more of like a have a beer play a song kind of guy. Yeah, you know, and I knew I knew that I wasn't ready yet to do anything substantial. And I knew that it comes with experience. I mean, you innately kind of know that, you know. Yeah. How much gravitas can you bring to something as complex and deep as jazz music when you're 20? I could hear it in my sound, I could feel it in my sound, and I could he- I knew the uh the um trajectory again of of saxophone players that I listened to from the inception of their recordings till the later years and I saw a huge growth and because it's all yeah. it's all their lives going into their damn horns and yeah.
3: stuff. So yeah. I was
0: kind of aware of that. I thought let me let me go out and have some experiences, you know. And cuz I was into all of the arts, you know, I did not want to sit at home and practice like intervalistic concepts on the saxophone all day. You know, um I just wanted to hang out and stuff. A little too much I hung out, you know. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of drinking and there was some drugging stuff, but it was all a lot of fun at that time, because I think I could do that when I was in my 20s, and sometimes you lost your glasses, sometimes (laughs) I lost my glasses, I was a pain in the ass, a nuisance, Johnny Flower, any of those guys will tell you what a fucking pain in the ass Mike DiPazzo was, I mean, (laughs) you know, I'm not a thought right now but back then if they were if they were to be prompted yes it was a nuisance um <laughs> you know you know like it even i was maybe even unethical in in some sort. you know certain i mean i'd like to go back and undo some of those peccadillos but oh you know <laughs> <laughs> but um i don't know um i was having a lot of fun yeah and yeah. and um so um It wasn't until I got on the cruise ships that I started to develop my sound because I was playing every night.
2: But did you, you knew what you liked before that, but you did it, was it just becoming clear what, like what you were going for or what parts of the like learning process you valued? Like, I guess like what, when, what was like a example of a milestone where something became clear, like a, like a way you looked at one of the fundamentals you were practicing or where something kind of where you kind of found what you were looking for in what you were practicing
0: oh that's a tough question um that was all very gradual like um i would i was really into the um the um independent sort of jazz crisscross and steeplechase records of the 90s the stuff that like alex Sipiogin and, and was doing and like Dave Binney and like Potter, definitely a lot of Potter, all the Potter. Mm-hmm. I was I became a very big Chris Potter fan, and I took some lessons with him, and that was amazing. And um, and so I was transcribing him and trying to understand because he was he had such a monstrous technique on the saxophone. Who wouldn't want to try to do what he was doing? His the way he played, his sensibility started creeping into my playing a little bit. So I became this like amalgam of like Phil Woods and Chris Potter and not horrible not horrible i don't know man but any musician with a keen ear can just will just you know be able to 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 decipher that right away you know chris potterfield but um but um you know so that sort of um type of aggressive sort of playing um it was they were playing in a, with a different time feel. It, Chris Potter wasn't playing with the time feel like like Cannonball or Charlie Parker. He was playing on a different side of the beat almost. Mm-hmm. And it was a different way of playing time that I that I that I hadn't heard before.
2: Like in his phrasing or in, in the, the
0: way he's like hitting around the beat rhythmically, his phrasing over the bar line, the way he was attacking things and and a personality, it was very very original sounding to me. Mm-hmm. Cuz I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, know, what, you know I'm, what I'm saying?
1: yeah it was also the way the the amount of notes
0: he's putting in those phrases and it's, you know yeah, yeah it was incredible, incredible. and I was I, you know I'd hear a line I'd have to transcribe it there was like an Al Foster record I remember with Dave Kakoski and uh and um Doug Weiss and uh Potter and there were some souls he took on that I had to write that stuff down and I'd still that stuff is I will still grab that like Abercrombie you know mm-hmm. I know when I'm grabbing from that one of those transcriptions I did you know. Um, so th- those, uh, in the late 90s, I think, I was I was trying to get away from playing like Charlie Parker, Phil Wood stuff and listen to all of the n- guys that were hot on the scene. Is that a cool thing to say? <laughs> hot on the scene, everybody, Adam Rogers, uh, Keith mm. Jarrett. I was, mm. you know, those guys in classical music got me into Keith Jarrett. And so I was trying to think about the way he plays and stuff. So I was getting more into that style of playing where it was more, Modern late '90s hard bop original, um, you know Dave Holland Quintet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, um, Seamus Blake was a big influence. Uh, a lot of tenor players more than alto players for some reason. Mm-hmm. I wasn't crazy about a lot of alto players. I was never crazy about like the Gary Bartzes and the Charles McPhersons for some reason. Um, I was more into the tenor players like Fromm and Potter and Seamus Blake and Mark Turner and Joshua Redman and um and all of the kevin hayes uh all of these guys of that generation got me excited about playing jazz and i wanted to play like them
2: you know but do you feel like you got closer to that goal um like do you think a transcription brings you any closer to that than like you play a transcription you find something in it that you like that you want to incorporate into your voice yeah but like does that get you closer than like you said getting together with your friends and painting and and trying to like oh. listen and like pick pick out things that you didn't necessarily get from somewhere just pick, like picturing a sound or a feeling that you like
0: well i dropped the painting thing that i went through because i realized that wasn't gonna um sustain me you know that wasn't what i wanted to do mm-hmm. like be like billy drews or jane ira bloom or something and be like whoop whoop <laughs> yeah, a and have everybody like you know, yeah man have like tom rainey and tony mallaby and those guys be like you know it reminds me one time i went to um uh, the the Cornelia street cafe and it was uh paul motion tony mallaby angelica sanchez ben Monder, and i forget who was on bass but this was so anti-jazz this was noise man these guys were just up there they didn't even look like they were on a stage performing in front of people they looked like they were in their living room Mm. and i don't know what was going on i dug it because it was so subversive and it was crazy you know paul motion was just like bam and they were like you know just it was so out and i watched this table of corporate people who thought they were they were going for a night out of jazz and um i watched them i was watching them get fed up with the whole thing and just being like What's this what's going on here i thought you were taking us to a jazz club i thought we were going on for jazz this isn't jazz what the fuck? and like you know and th- this guy finally got up and he went hey he went to the uh, owner or the the guy who books it tom chang this star player and he went this isn't jazz <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and like i was like oh no here we go we want our money back we just want to get out of here this lady was like yeah i just want to get out of here it was like it was like she's being terrorized sure enough these guys had no idea this was going on and uh, I just thought that was hilarious. That is hilarious. You know? And they left and they got their money back and they were like really, really upset. Wow. You know, because they thought, what, what did they think they were going to see? Grover Washington probably?
2: Um, I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah, but well, Maybe that's like, like a bit extreme of an example. But oh, like, yeah. yeah. You, you know, like just like, I guess. It's the coffee. I, I don't know where I went. Well, I no, went that's, no that's, a, that's a perfect story for the interview. But I mean, I guess I wasn't assuming that was your taste. Like Want more you... coffee? No, I'm good, okay. no, I'm good, <laughs> Do you feel like you, do you feel like transcribing has been more important to you than like, do, can you ever just picture a, like a sound or a feeling that you're going for and that like comes across and you're playing organically? Or do you feel like vocabulary is all built on the transcription?
0: Um, I, I never liked, trans- I transcribed a few solos from beginning to end, because I just had to. And they were usually one of those tenor players. Um but for the most part I would take a line that just stunned me and I would transcribe it and then it would find its way into my solos. And sometimes I would actually put them in other keys and stuff, and uh, or I would take this uh, like thing that Joel Fromm does with fourths and I would bring it into my playing by transcribing it in- trying to move it into different keys, Mm -hmm. and which is hard work, I mean, which is very intricate work, as you know, if you wanna do that. I've
1: never transcribed from, but uh, Uh yes.
0: But there's a, you can't just throw it into your playing, because it it will sound like a lick that you've transcribed. There's a, you can't organically just put uh, some, there's a way you can, it'll show up amidst your playing somehow. It'll be, it'll come up in there, like, you're trying to emulate the feeling of what they're making. Yeah, you more feel. the feeling. So it'll show up, and it'll be like you know you're because when you're playing, you kind of split your mind in a way where where you're you're improvising, but you're also aware of what you're doing, and you're thinking about something else too. And it's like yeah, you're it, only making it, ninety bucks for this gig. That's yeah, thinking. and you're you're, <laughs> you're making those decisions within a microsecond. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> it's like you know within that microsecond, I'm sticking this Potter part of this. Lick I transcribed in 1998 in here right now. Yeah. And it's gonna be a part of this solo and I'm gonna work it in to make it sound good. I'll know that it's sort of manufactured, but nobody else will, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. But um, any sort of like pinnacle moment or something? No, there was just uh, it was just thousands of tiny moments or observations of everything that comes into your playing. I mean, um, all of your experience, right? I mean, I sound like some, some, uh, you know,
3: um,
2: sort of spiritual teacher type guy or something. With just well, experience. It, like I said, it's so it's so hard to be objective about it. Like, yeah. like where the milestones are and where it actually comes from. And it's like I, I feel like I make progress. I feel like I like, I know what I like, and I'm moving towards it. But there are times where I would like wonder. I guess like what I can be objective about as far as like developing within a language or a style. You know what I mean like yeah. is what I, is what I like relevant to the people like at uh, academically a jazz school or the jam session what they're what they're hearing is it like does, does it matter is it the same No, thing? it doesn't matter. Know. Yeah.
1: Is it does it feel as good to you as your favorite recordings feel to you? That's what matters. As far as I, can, I mean from from I mean I hear you asking what you're asking and I hear you saying what you're saying, but I still I, I Charlie Parker playing confirmation is still the the beacon for me yeah like that feeling yeah so uh, I I have transcribed that solo, but it's the feeling I get when I hear I
3: just <deeply wanted laughs> as
1: soon as the piano comes in and I hear him start I'm in, I was in tears the first time I heard that Wow and I still am so I don't care about the rest of yeah. it and I don't care if anybody else uh, wow thinks about. Whatever they think about it, that's that feeling. Because I, to me, those beacons of truth—not to be abstract about it—but that Benson playing anything, but yeah. but but Ghibli gravy with Ron Carter and, and, uh-huh. and, and or, or any anything those it's like Stanley tarantino When I hear them play, I just Ray Charles. I just that's the feeling I want to go for. Yeah, it is uh-huh. abstract. I that that's the thing. I feel like I guess
3: it's and it's, it's the, the
0: most concrete yeah. thing I know. Yeah. yeah. Some people might not necessarily like at all what you like. I remember playing a Chris Potter solo for somebody that blew me away for years. It was like they were playing that George tune Conception in seven on an Alex Sipiagin record. Okay. His solo just is stunning It because it's in seven <laughs> and it's Conception and it's really up and Jeff Tane Watts on drums and Scott Colley. Yeah. And too. Potter's solo is so amazingly creative and on the money and dealing with those changes perfectly, in that time signature perfectly, and still manages to be spontaneous and fun and organic and everything you want from a solo. It's like, how do you do that? How do you, when you're amazed and astonished by something like that, how are you gonna get there? You gotta figure out a, a way to do it on your own, and you're not gonna do it by trying to duplicate or replicate what they did. It's just not gonna work that way. You can take little, you know, those little pearls or jewels in the sand and somehow try to use but I guess that's, that's part of the fun or the hard part until it becomes your own yeah, kind of thing. And that's just a part of it. It's such a hard, I mean jazz, playing jazz is not easy and you have to have the right perspective and approach. You know, it's gotta be, you gotta feel fresh and stuff. You gotta, um, I, I heard back a gig that I, I thought I was playing well on the other night and I was appalled, <laughs> you know, and I was thinking, why am I so tight? Why am that's very not relaxed. That's mm. you're, I felt like I was pushing and trying to, you know, force my solo onto the audience, you know, and until I loosened up later, and by the second set I was finding a groove where I was, you know, feeling
2: a little bit more like, and then it sounded okay to me. Mm. Um, there's so many elements, um, yeah, involved in all that. Uh, well, you're saying so. You were saying you started to approach finding your voice around when you started doing the cruise ships. Is that what y- you were saying?
0: Yeah, because I um, yeah, because. I I so I, I crapped out at the new school after a semester and you know, so then I had you know, four semesters of college under my belt. And then um I bummed around a little bit more. I ended up moving back upstate to Fishkill mm-hmm. um with my parents and I thought, um, let me do another semester, but let me try state school this time, SUNY Purchase. So I went to SUNY Purchase. I, purchase. I did for one semester. And uh in two thousand three. And um, Todd Coleman, yep, um, out of the goodness of his <laughs> crazy narcissistic, iconoclastic heart, because he's this great player who's just a very challenging guy to deal with. He's not. He's not watching this. <laughs> so, so, no way,
2: a chance. He so, started a podcast recently. Yeah, didn't and the Cool Podcast. Cool yeah, he might be checking out the competition. <laughs> it's it's <good> be. <laughs> and he's a male. 98% Ninety-eight percent of our viewers. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> true. I don't know. <laughs>
0: but um, <laughs> I listened to some of those, yeah. He had some interesting stories, you know? But um, <laughs> he—he, I remember I auditioned for him, and he told me to, I played the old milestones in front of him solo in front of his desk. And um, he said, okay, now I'll play it up a half step. So I tried to play old milestones up a half step. And I got to the bridge and I went, no. I, I stopped and he went, okay, okay. I think we can help you, and then <laughs> he let me into the program. So I did a semester there, and there were fine musicians there. This was more of now I was out of Manhattan. I was done like kind of boozing and being crazy and shit, and I was just kind of smoking weed and uh, and uh, being cool and like reading books and things, and 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 just chilling out and hanging out with these guys. And um, one day, this tenor player Adam Ash, who's still very close friend of mine to this day, he's a great tenor player but Mm -hmm. he he went and got a degree in computer science and now he's a software engineer slash computer scientist oh so he's surviving he has a family and (laughs) and he's you know yeah very responsible good for him man and is uh, he still playing uh no but he he has his tenor and he um he's always flirting with playing with it but he's one of those guys that he needs to he wants to practice 12 hours a day yeah, yeah. To because he wants it to be out of a certain caliber, yeah, yeah. and he can be at that certain caliber, and mm-hmm. then some, yeah. great player. But it was just, you know, managing the, uh, the um, surviving. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, the vagaries of, of of life and having yeah. a family and all that. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, he likes to, I think, hang in his basement and play drums and flute and.
1: I have a drum set in my basement and a yeah. flute so yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we,
3: we can yeah. Get, yeah
0: I get it yeah, yeah. and he, he was on he was on the I was sitting in the in the hallway one day I wasn't feeling so great I was a little depressed because it was like a dreary winter Manhattan I mean winter New York rather excuse me and um, uh, at Purchase yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he was on the phone with the guy who books the cruise ships and uh, he said I can't do it but Mike DePazzo sitting here he might want to do it he's like you want to go out on the Carnival Glory for two months I was like and he was like, "All right, Mike's gonna do it. Mike can do it." And I put him on the phone. He was like, "Can I come out on the glory? It's a Caribbean run," and I'd known I know what the ships are. I did one. I did one week when I was, um, I think, nineteen or so. Mm-hmm. Just just a week, so I knew what it was. And a uh, fill-in, and I never thought about going back, but um, I went. I went out there, and um, you know, it was a ten-piece show band. You've done it, right? Yeah, same thing. So you, have to, you have to play the production review shows with the dancers. Yep. (laughs) And I just thought I'd do my two months, make some bread. And, but funny thing happened when I got out there, all the guys in the band were motherfuckers. Um, there was, they were, and I got along with them. Like we became tight where they were all great people. Yeah. And so, you know, and it was a breath. All of a sudden I could breathe. I was out in the Caribbean, I was on the payroll, and, was, and you can get away without spending anything and get away without spending anything yeah, you and can I, bank at all I was on the beaches and blue water and all these women and from all over the world and different you know jobs on the ship and and um and they're I, Phil Woods fans <laughs> some of the guys in the Tempe band, in the show band knew uh were aware of jazz and, and great players yeah yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and uh No, the girls weren't paying those bills. (laughs) What? (laughs) Actually, you know, on one of those cruises when I went to, like, uh, Portugal, I remember being in a cafe and these two Portuguese waitresses were arguing over whether it was Eric Dolphy or somebody else. Like... While they were serving espresso, and I was like, "That is something you will never see in America." You yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, I was like, "I think it's James Spaulding. And, <laughs> and they were like, he could be right." They were like, "Totally, really? yes." I was like, "Are you? I want to go home with you guys after your shift and listen to jazz."
2: Yeah, you think ninety-eight percent male audience for us is bad, Eric Dolphy? <laughs> <Yeah>. Forget about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: drink Portuguese wine with you girls. Yeah, you know, it was amazing, and. Uh, um, but anyway I, dig- I digress but uh, so on the ship there also was a jazz trio yeah I, I did
1: the same thing in a different bar probably a right. cigar bar right yep Yeah. and
0: I went over there thinking it was going to be some loungy schmucks yeah and it was three badasses yeah 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 piano player from Australia drummer still my good friend to this day lives in Queens Christian Coleman the guy mm-hmm. who I was sitting in with with Ball and Beck. uh-huh and um a bass player from Atlanta Chris Frickenbach and they they had a huge there was no laptops or anything they had a huge book of, of any standard or or um, Wayne tune or whatever mm-hmm. tune that you want to pull out or anything obscure. On yeah. The, whatever, like three phone books high, and they also wrote all their own tunes too. So, yeah. so I went up there to sit in, and we became sort of like a quartet. Yeah. So this sh- on the ships, all of a sudden, nobody was judging me. I was probably the strongest, you know, jazz soloist in the band, and uh, I didn't have my doubles together yet, but you know, I got away with that a while because of my jazz chops Mm -hmm. and um they were nice and uh everybody had their strengths and weaknesses and um nobody got thrown overboard for that (laughs) or anything (laughs) you know and so um I could relax for the first time yeah yeah time yeah I I was and so I would play these big band sets during the day and then we'd play the shows at night and then I'd go play with the jazz trio till 2 a.m. yeah so I was playing from like 5 p.m. to 2 a.m and really getting with the horn yeah. and that's when all of the um confluence of influences like the potters and the Fromms and the keith jarretts and the matthew ships and everybody i heard in manhattan was always going to everybody Mm -hmm. um that's when i started to feel like i could i could release the way i was um feeling in a musical setting with total um you know um non-judgment or or anything, and it was just a place to explore, and because you just you just had people p- partying and passengers yeah. just vacationing, yeah. And then um, it took me over to Europe for the first time, and I went on a European cruise ship for nine months, and uh, that was to this day probably the best time I've ever had. Really, it was those that same trio was on it. There was a trombone player from Oklahoma in the show band who switched over to piano. Just because he want, he had to get on that ship to be with his girlfriend, a dancer. So he, he he you know, I mean, it takes a lot of ability and talent to go and play those shows on piano as if you're a horn player. But he was doing it.
1: It takes even more talent ability to hang on to one of those dancers for that long.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, well they a... <laughs> are divorced and remarried. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not laughing at him. I'm laughing with him. No, I was just am- <laughs> I was
0: I was amazed at all the talent I saw out there Yeah. that nobody knew about, you know, and they came from everywhere. They came from You,
1: you have time. There's no there's, there's not a lot of distractions unless mm-hmm. you you know, were with one of the dancers, but it there that's the I that was one of the things like I would play the show and then I would just hang and practice on the stage after, you know. And All then, right. Yeah. And then you, you know, there was just time.
0: Yes. There you could was. just sit there in your talks and continue to practice. And yeah,
1: totally. And then just you kind of have this rocking back and forth. That, Love that. Yeah, it's Love very that. relaxing feel. And the water. Sleep. Yeah. Man, you didn't have to be up. It depended on the day, nope. but you didn't like. Uh, I remember Friday nights was when one of the headliners would. Uh, they would switch, the headliners would land whatever wherever it was. I just remember we had a, we'd always have a rehearsal Friday morning. Yeah. And we landed yeah. in Cosmel on Friday so we all just wanted to, to you know, we just, we had to do that to be able to enjoy the day but there was time. Yeah. Right. And you didn't have to, you didn't make any food. Mm-hmm. There was food for you. So all your needs are met and oh, you yeah, have time yeah. to kind of shed and, and enjoy and you know, check out what you're doing so
0: I get it. Yep. yep. And then you can go out in St. Martin and go to the casinos or you can hit up some jet skis or you can... You know, people were putting things up their up their rear ends to bring him back on board and things like that. <laughs> no. I was like, "Wait a minute!" It was what, tough what? getting reads before going back out. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, there was a lot of tomfoolery.
1: In I watched out. a dude get arrested for 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 drugs. They 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 left him where they found him. I mean, they yeah. he, they left him in Jamaica.
0: Yeah just for pot
1: too oh. they brought dogs on the ships i remember this and oh like well, scary as hell yeah, when you it did.
0: well that was a crapshoot. yeah yeah but he got that was terrible the yeah. original britney griner <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um i guess we were varsity back then so. <laughs> well they i've heard they've changed a lot too so what year is yeah. this that you're talking about 2003 yeah okay yeah yeah to 2008 yeah you did it for five years? Well, not in succession, not concurrently necessarily. Okay. More like um, I'd go out for a few months, come back to New York, screw around, bump around, jam. And then they'd be like, hey, you want to come to Hawaii and Alaska? Who's who's on the band? These guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. definitely. Um, but the nine-month thing in Europe was great because I got a real sense of, like, Italy and France and mm-hmm. – um, Croatia and, and you know, I had all these time all this time to explore that stuff and just get that European way of living that I wasn't privy to yet at all. Yeah. The siestas, the the music that was playing, all of that. Nessun Dorma vibe kind yeah, of thing going yeah. on. And streets of Naples and and um and there were I was with hanging out with some very nice ladies and um you know, had a girlfriend and yeah. uh and I was actually in love with two dancers at the same time. I mean, like it, this was an insane nine months. I mean, and there was great music to be had. Well, wow. it was great everything, and it wasn't all just a big decadent like you know party. There was a lot of that, but we were also hitting the gym too, and like, yeah, yeah, and yeah. taking advantage of the sauna and the personal trainers, and they're all these, you know, it was like a, a, you know, just a huge sort of potpourri of, of great stuff. And I was twenty six, so it was like it was perfect for me. All this playing and that's. When I started, to feel like I developed my sound. I did a record with those guys. I think I sent you one track. You probably didn't
1: listen oh, to Oh, li- no, I listened to both of them. Oh, okay. Uh, uh- because uh, uh, you you yeah. uh, intimated it the... that I might know who that person was.
0: Oh, that was another guy from Manhattan School of Music, Felipe. A Felipe. A p- piano player from Chile. The, 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 there was a waltz. The That's waltz. the Ten Easy songs, right? That Ten Easy Pieces was the Chilean guy from school. The guys from the ships was this Nadia's waltz was the tune. Beautiful right.
1: tune. Yeah, I listened to both of those, though. Yeah. This morning, I listened oh, okay. to them. Yeah, on uh, They're both on YouTube, the links you sent mm-hmm. me. Yeah.
0: So that record we did because we had a vibe as a group. I sounded like it yeah
1: did yeah. it okay yeah of
0: course yeah man yeah. and you know um eventually you know life got in the way and everything but for that chunk of time we were like in cahoots completely and like playing all the time
1: yeah life off the ship has a
0: funny way of t- yeah. t- t- kind of just s- slapping you around a little. yeah time. but we were making our own recordings on the ship like after hours when the bars shut down yeah. and stuff and the trombone player who wrote music would come and you know we do quintet stuff and i have all these Recordings bootlegs of us doing all this stuff. Yeah, I have some some cassettes sitting around from. You know, the yeah, absolutely. So eventually you leave the ships, which I did, and but um, that time was fertile because I got to play, and I I didn't feel any pressure from anything. So maybe that's the pinnacle, kind of. That was more of the very gold dust that. Well, <laughs> do you? I mean, help my playing.
2: <laughs> so was it after you found your voice did it i mean you you still have things you love to practice does it feel any more like you're closer to like you know what i'm trying to say like it, you don't feel like you're you you still have stuff you're working on now right like things that you like you like to work on or, um, or or did it kind of taper off where you didn't feel like you were searching for anything it's tapered off in a weird way where i'm
0: only into music and jazz when I'm working, when I have gigs lined up. When I don't have gigs lined up, I find it hard to sit around and practice. I like to play sessions. So you need the
1: pressure of
0: something coming, or I do anyway, I'm the same way, I need that something. You need something to come up. Yeah. Something something. coming up to to write a tune for and to practice and to get some material together that's not stale and do stuff. So when I moved back down to Westchester after I was exiled from Beacon um, (laughs) four years ago, I I re-upped with my friend Jason Devlin, who's a drummer from the Manhattan School of Music. I know his name. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And um, bass player Scott Fergala. And we started playing sessions every day. Not every day. A lot during the week. Okay. So playing sessions is what gets me, gets the horn out of the case. I'm having trouble sometimes practicing just for the sake of it, um, unless I have gigs and stuff. And now I have a day job.
2: Yeah. I mean, I... I guess that makes sense. That's that's the point that you get to. I mean, mm-hmm. I just, especially after college, I feel like a lot of the practicing that I just feel like I get more out of is just like playing along with records and trying to listen more. Playing deeply. with records is fun, yeah. Like Rather than, I mean, I, I still try to play some scale stuff. I mean, I definitely want to spend more, like I try to spend a lot of time with the metronome, mm-hmm. but as far as, like, I feel like a lot of that music school, like heady type of stuff, yeah stopped making me feel like I was getting where I wanted to go.
1: you know yeah. those books i I really feel like bridge the gap between the creative part of it and kind of dissecting it and practicing the creative part of Bergonzi's books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have those or if yeah. you ever worked out i I'm pretty sure I probably told you yeah, guys yeah, about yeah. them in school, but I read them, yeah,
3: yeah, he's I,
1: amazing. I love that guy's playing uh, he's astounding yeah. And his, but his books are really done in a creative way. Like they're, they're, they're fertile. Like I find that like you can, you can just open any page and, and, and practice something the way he's first initially telling you how to practice it. And from there it kind of launches, I've always felt, I love, well, I have every one of those books and I've always loved just practicing out of them. Yeah. And so I always find that like, if I, if I'm not bored, but I am better with pressure if I have, like, I have a gig on Saturday. Yeah. I definitely at Lydia's. at Lydia's with Tony and um, Jay.
0: Yes, amazing. Yeah, I, I gotta
1: come. Oh well, uh, yeah. That those guys are. Uh, well, I love Jay. Jay Anderson <laughs> with the, uh, episode eight. Of the Mink and the Monk is mm-hmm. Jay Anderson. I can't remember Has which. Yes, yeah.
0: you had a real luminary on.
2: He's...
1: I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I didn't record 200 records for <laughs> Steeplechase. Uh, 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 yeah, he he did a lot of Steeplechase. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely adore Jay. And he, he, he gave uh, me a cake for my 100th
0: record for a, a label? <laughs> yeah,
1: he. You know, Jay's like uh, he's exactly the, what I was talking about. Like the fir- one of the first real playing uh, experiences, sitting in at a club. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a New pulse and it was like, uh, we play, He we went, and i never met Jay before, and he, somebody called, Have You Met Miss Jones? And I was just glad I knew the tune. And I had, it w- I was, it was astounding. And it was, it was Jay Anderson and uh, Jimmy Madison. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, Is yeah. Is he he's still around? Yeah, he's up in this area. I, I mean, he's in K-Town. used I, I, nice I, to play with him. Yeah. Yeah, I saw him at, the Falcon, maybe four years ago, with Adam Cote.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. Adam the man. Adam's the man. Adam Cote, you know him? Well, yeah, I saw him play once with Matt, and he yeah. made me feel bad about myself. Yeah,
0: Adam is <laughs> Adam's amazing, man. You know, he would have a really uh, angular
1: He's a guy he too. can practice yeah. regardless of what's coming up. Like, that dude, if right. he has six
0: hours free it's not a problem. Right. But he'll also play acoustic guitar and sing and he'll also play piano. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's my go-to the, bass player. The when last I, time yeah. he
1: was, uh, was it here? He played, he was, he, he had, he was playing a Kurt Rosenwinkel piano solo. Yeah, I'm sure he was. From that record. Sure he yeah. <laughs> he, maybe it was at his house. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. well, he's amazing. He's amazing. He's yeah. got an amazing head. I met him when he was 18 and, oh, uh, really? or 17. Oh, yeah! Because t- I yeah. taught at Poughkeepsie Day School, and he uh-huh. was a senior. Okay, and I taught there too. Like, did you? Yeah. after that must have been after I was there. I, I 2014-ish. Yeah, I left yeah. in 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. But that's where I met him. That's where I met Gabe Schneider, that guitarist. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, the, but with Adam, it was just, we just played.
0: Adam's a great We player. just played it.
1: And, and that thats the, that spirit of it, what we've been talking about, he's all about them.
0: Right. I had a gig coming up with him and Jason at Quinn's in uh, Beacon, which I don't know if you know that venue, Quinn's. No. It's a jazz, it's a music venue in Last Beacon. Last time I saw you was at Quinn's. Right. You were playing with the Big Bang. Was it Big Bang? Yeah, I think so. Okay. okay.
1: I thought I was sitting in at their, they had a session there. I wasn't there. We sat at a table and talked but i don't know if we were on the gig together or if I, if i was just sitting in at a session but no you were definitely there this why? was prob this is 5 5 years ago okay this was a while ago
0: okay <clears throat> why anyway do I, why do i remember you playing with the big bang there
1: it might've been that night hanging out afterwards, but I always, but I'm surprised you're not on the, you weren't on the gig is what I'm saying. Because
0: I got exiled out of the Hudson Valley and I just, <laughs> you got exiled out of the, the entire Hudson Valley? I just, I say that to be funny is when I, when I broke up from this relationship I was in oh. and, and then I moved to Westchester and like my Hudson Valley music career ended. <laughs> <laughs> Cause people just thought he's, he's down in Mount Kisco now. He's not coming up for this.
1: The, we played, we were 12 pieces played for the door. So 90 sounds awesome to split because we were going home with like <laughs> well 12 to 20 dollars each. Well,
0: be careful, Mr. is going to watch this.
1: <laughs> yeah but, I mean we did but it wasn't it, you know, I don't think he was pocketing the money, just that we were 12 dudes. I We'd know. get a growler of beer and um, and they'd feed us very well. that Keegans, we had a great the Keegans run was fantastic. That was before my time that that, that right. we did the brothers barbecue. That was your time. yep and the Falcon. And the, I only did the Falcon, I didn't, that was kind of when, I wasn't exiled from the Hudson Valley, but I, Mm -hmm. uh, those gigs were on nights that I was, uh, I was working, Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, I, the Brothers Barbecue, I did, that's We did that a lot.
0: We did that a bunch, yeah. Yeah, and that time Lovano walked in, (laughs) and then, you know, Lovano walks in to the Brothers Barbecue in Montgomery, New York, and all of a sudden I hear Kopech, go, what the fuck happened in the sax section? (laughs) there was a change in the dna in the room you know. yeah and i'm playing second tenor and it's not even my at main axe and i have a crappy tenor and a crappy setup and i was like hey joe how are you? How are you? How are you? Really what love, brings
1: you out tonight
0: <laughs> i really love this record and i was like i'm really an alto player just so you know because <laughs> he, he was like it was nice to hear you and i was like Ooh. You know, you know, i was like i'm you really didn't. I, didn't really <laughs> i was like i'm really an alto player and he goes Oh, you're living on alto, huh? You see, because the alto—if you're playing tenor and also alto—it'll give you something else to draw from. And you know, he got—he went into that mode, and I was like, "Yeah, I know that." You know? <laughs> I, was, I was like, "I kind of know that already." Uh, you know, I'm not—you know—I like playing each the tenor and the soprano and the alto. You know, I'm hip to that, buddy. <laughs> Let me pull this one now. <laughs> Oh, because then, you know, it's like a magic eight ball with him.
3: <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> I've only, uh,
1: I don't, I remember hearing that he was, he wasn't there long. If, no. I, if, I, if I remember correctly, but I don't, I don't think I even knew he was there. Oh, But okay. I, I, I do remember you guys getting
3: yelled at. <laughs> yeah, because everything,
0: everything just went downhill, man. Yeah, uh, I do kind of vaguely remember that, but yeah. I might've been just looking forward to the brisket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was another one I forgot to mention that was instrumental in like, Seeing how somebody can play with such freedom, and force, and force, force. and like a painter. That guy's painting. Yeah, he's absolutely astounding. Joe like, Lovano. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! When I heard "From the Soul" in the, his first Blue Note record with Petruccianni and Dave Holland and Ed Blackwell, that was like I was like, "What is this guy?"
1: It was the Schofield record on Blue Note that that floored me. Uh,
0: meant to be or time on my hands. Time on my hands. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like yeah but it, honestly the revelation for me with him was i was playing a gig with his wife mm-hmm. and and uh he sat in and we played uh i can't get started mm-hmm. and i was it was sitting right next to it to hear the sound come out of the horn right next to you yeah i i, I was compl- i I didn't, I was totally speechless after yeah. that. We played a couple of tunes and then I went down to this, he was at the Vanguard the next week and I went down and saw him, I'm forgetting who he was with, mm-hmm. but it was his group. Mm-hmm. But just to hear him, one of those things that hearing them live was like, and and standing next to you wow. to hear how he was, how creative he was and how much force was coming out. Of I'm this. sure. It was amazing because yeah. he doesn't sound loud on record but when and it's not that he was too loud, but it was incredible. It was incredible sound that I'm mi- sure that microphone simply just doesn't capture
0: the same way as being next to the bell. Wow, you could feel that power. Feel that power. It was amazing. Yeah, and one time I heard him play this solo, and he he did some things I never heard anybody do before. He was playing like a rhythm changes, and he finished his solo before the end of the tune. Uh-huh. It's, it's, I'm trying to figure. It he finished he concluded the logical idea that he was following which normally would come at the end of the rhythm changes but he did it like four bars before Uh the end of the of the form in this way that i'd never heard before it was so creative Uh, and like eloquent i i just it floored me yeah yeah i think it was even at the falcon i was just like how did he do that? Yeah. He 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 crafted this solo in such a way to where he ended what he was doing before the 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 final conclusion was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He just he flipped all that on his ass, and I, it just left me dumbfounded. <laughs> I was just like, that was the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. And he did things like that. Yeah, he does things like that.
1: An incredibly brilliant uh, human. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 amazing yeah and i feel the same way about about schofield too and in that in, in like to, just to bring it full circle where we start talking like i'm never i don't th- have to think at all when i listen to john mm. player or those tunes are every i mean out of the 30 records or so that i've listened to a lot uh it's just always music yeah and when you hear him talk it's always were you at? Were you at the Falcon? The infamous night with uh, with Eddie? Were you at? The, were you at that gig? Uh, no. Oh, okay, it's all right. But to hear him play, I, he, he was playing with uh, with uh, Eddie Deal. He was sitting in with Eddie Deal's band, which was Adam Nussbaum mm-hmm. on drums and um, oh, I'll just the bass player's name is eluding me. Uh, uh, it'll come to me. But anyway, not Dennis Irwin or something. No, no, no. It was um. Eddie, Lou Pappas It was Lou? Eddie's, Eddie's really? Eddie. It was Eddie's gig Oh cool So it was uh, Yeah I know Lou Yeah Lou's I haven't seen him in a while mm-hmm. uh, Is he still in the area? I think so He's not exiled No 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 Okay, <laughs> He's an <a>, exile Lou? <laughs> no Lou's wonderful One of my favorite bass players uh, But to hear John just play he was just he was sitting in so eddie called all the tunes Mm -hmm. and to hear john just go through a night of standards was just as exciting to hear him go through anything else oh i'd love to hear that it was amazing it was absolutely it was it was really a revelation to hear him just play tunes uh wow yeah stella and uh uh uh, uh, wine and roses like just pretty straight ahead just tunes and uh absolutely amazing Yeah, so there's a guy who, another guy who's just capable of anything, and but he's always capable of just making incredible music. Just you know, Lovano's the same way. It's like they're just amazing spirits at that. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they either one of them had a cruise ship run though. I don't know if they were doing that (laughs) like (laughs) we were. (laughs) Well, you did ask me
0: about what got me booted off one. I did
1: ask you that and I didn't know if we were gonna talk about
0: that. Sure, so um, there was this um, show called Rock Down Broadway and I was playing tenor on this contract and I was really into the tenor for some reason. Well, because I was playing tenor and I kind of forgot about the alto for the four months I was there. So I had to play the show Rock Down Broadway and you, it was this section where you gotta actually go out from under the pit and go up onto the stage, onto the stairwell and play this, um, it was like a 6'8 kind of um introduction to a a tune. I forget what it's called, like Smoky Joe's Cafe or something. Okay. So it was like this. The band would come in with um ba da and the tenor player would have to go ba and ba then and, then and then it's this whole thing and then you end up walking through the stage through the dancer choreography you step on this little rickety block as the pit comes up for this big climax. And then the pit goes back down with you still blowing, and then on to the next piece of, gotcha. the play, of the thing. Well, this particular, I did it flawlessly for a few months. This particular night, day, we were out in the Bahamas, and we, we I think we had a long night that previous night playing. Texas Hold'em with the Casino Boys. Yeah, that'll which, do it.
1: Which was what we would do. Usually Scottish gentlemen. Were they Scots? Brits. Usually. Brits. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And and we would we were playing poker and it got real out of hand like till like six a.m. or something and it was there was a lot of booze, so we were playing poker and you know hundred dollar hands and stuff. I was up a thousand. I was down a thousand. You know, <laughs> everything was cash back then. Yeah. And um, so it was, we finally called it a night, but somehow we all I kept I couldn't go to sleep. I was all. I couldn't squeeze down. I was like, "Yeah, yeah." I couldn't. I was all excited, so I kind of kept going, um, and I went out to the Bahamas and had some lunch and more drinks and stuff like that. And some of my friends could already see there was, I was, I you know something at the sun I, the sun I, with the with <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't pulling the strings necessarily. You know something else was. Yeah, and um, it was just one of those things it got yeah. away from me that time and um by the time i got back to the show i was still rocking and rolling like in as far as i was concerned everything looked great and normal but i don't know that I, I are you up normal. like 30 hours yeah. at this point yeah yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Um,
3: <laughs>
0: i thought i could breeze my way through rock down broadway so um that day um one of the comedians gave me um well not that day a few days before the comedians used to get um screeners for all the movies that were coming out so yeah. it was the year that there will be blood and no country for old men came out Saw so both of them in the movie theater here okay yeah yeah. so i got them on the shift from the comedians Yep. Yeah. and dvds and um <clears> so like everybody else i i was just blown away by that line i drink your milkshake <laughs> <laughs> that daniel the you know what i'm talking about i know no, exactly. I seen it. oh there'll be blood no i've heard i've i've heard so it. like it, yeah it's uh you know one of those movies
1: um trying to what's the what's the boy's name he's talking to eli eli yeah yeah
0: so um i i was taken with that (laughs) i drank your milkshake yeah and it it found its way into the culture they were like doing it on saturday night live and stuff you know and so i was i was you know pretty pretty um you know what's a benign way of saying uh you were channeling Daniel Day. Yeah, I was, it was. You know, I was a little buzzed. It's awesome. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing a wrong with channeling. Kind of, like, it was a couple, a of, couple sheets, of sheets. A couple of sheets. A couple of sheets. Yes. And so, um, um, the second show, you know, cause, oh, it's
1: two shows. Yeah. Uh-oh.
0: So that kept flowing and stuff. And I was I kept myself together because I was young enough to. And then um I I went up on that sta- stairwell. And The band went boo da boo do da, and I went <laughs> and then they went and I took the microphone and I went, I drink your milkshake, I drink it up, <laughs> like really loud and perfectly in time, you know. And
3: and there was like a
0: hush in this palladium theater, and um. They hadn't seen the movie yet yes, maybe, so this made no sense to them probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. um the dancers were looking at me like i just ruined their whole career and uh and cause this is like a million dollar production show with yeah. lights and sparks and stuff yeah yeah and then lights I, and
1: sparks yeah right, that's how you know it
3: was good <laughs> you
0: know what i'm saying yeah, yeah 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 and uh i made my way down to the pit and um when the pit went down The band was supposed to start up the next tune and I noticed that there was no sound and I looked around and nobody was playing because they were laughing so hard. (laughs) Nobody could play the next piece. Is this all
3: on a click? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it was like with Jesus
0: Christ Superstar as the next one or something. And they were just, because I didn't realize it was going to be that loud. And I, I think my voice was, I think was so boomy. I had the oil man in my voice. I drink it my- I really had it, man. Yeah, yeah. I could tell. And <laughs> I drink it <laughs> You know, I really went for it.
1: Did you have a pork chop? Because your- <laughs> wasn't he eating a pork chop while he was doing right. some kind He's of? He's eating of some meat. kind of piece of meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But no, I had my tenor, <laughs> and-, <laughs> and the the clip on mic. And so um, they booted me off the next day for that little stunt. They, they- that was a fireable offense. Yes. Were well they they drink tested me yeah
1: how do they oh you mean they gave you a breathalyzer yeah a blood alcohol test yeah that evening mm-hmm. so um I you know what you blew no oh, okay but, but it was mean, enough to get the boot
0: yeah plus, you know plus the little stunt yeah. plus the stunt yeah um but it's legendary. It is legendary. It was well my girlfriend wasn't too thrilled.
1: <laughs> your girlfriends are never thrilled with with a lot of your actions, it no, seems they, like. I suppose <laughs> not. No.
3: You still friends it. with some of them.
2: Yeah. It's <laughs> more <laughs> thrilling in <laughs> <laughs> retrospect. <laughs>
0: um, even my last girlfriend didn't find even the story funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean honestly, I, I would I'm I'm just jealous that I wasn't in the band. I would have loved to have seen this live. Like, yeah, could yeah. Did they see you
0: from the stage or did they just hear you in the monitor? Yeah, they could see me. I was fully in the show. And, um, you know, so that sort of ended my carnival days. <laughs> I did a few more cruise lines afterwards here and there. Oh, so you didn't get blacklisted? No, um, I think I did, but I talked my way out of it. Okay. They said there's a triple... When I when I had to go back on a ship because I wanted to go to Australia and Japan. Yeah. And I went on Princess mm-hmm. in 2010. Okay. I took a little break. And... uh um, it was Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Vietnam, Cambodia. Amazing! And it was a whole new set of cool musicians I met, and that was a good one too. Nice. It was four months there. They were like, "There's a triple X on your name in our file. What happened there?" And I just made up a ludicrous story. I just said, "Wait, you couldn't give them the ludicrous story, or are you like?" I just said, "Well, um, I was butting heads with the musical director, mm-hmm. who I I didn't think was very sane at the time, and um, I thought I left on my." of my own volition um i don't know why there's a triple x in there no hard feelings if you don't want me for the gig i don't know why that's in there but i i really had a kind of a crisis that i had to get home for and i also wasn't having a great time with this insane musical director if you really want to know the truth i totally lied i was a, a great liar i mean i mean i was Probably. <laughs> I, mean, I was probably drinking. So it was like, when you're drinking, you're a liar, man. <laughs> you know <what> I mean, <laughs> so you can lie great, man. Yeah. And they were like, oh, well it's kind of an emergency we really need an alto player here and i'm like why why what's the emergency and they were like well the, the serbian alto player did a face plant on the bandstand <laughs> during a show the other night <laughs> and i was like what a jerk you know? <laughs> yeah we used to have such little respect for
1: the dancers
0: <laughs> you know in a million dollar show with sparks on, with <laughs> sp-
1: not even a good story <laughs> just,
3: face plant. Yeah, just did a face plant <laughs>
0: so um uh, they said all right well you know we believe you or whatever uh, why don't well, they sent me a contract and you know it was cool and went overseas again and you know I, I, the serbian guy left all his clothes and <laughs> really for <laughs> all these vests and ties there oh the, wow i was like this must be the face planter stuff here <laughs> so, you know i put it, on, it fit? yeah it fit me nice. Or his vest around nice <laughs> Dude, I love that story. <laughs> yeah, and it was funny because <laughs> the port that I went back to was the port I got fired from. Oh, wow. It was oh. Lisbon, Portugal. So I went to the same port that I just left, and I was like, I was upset when I left the first time. I was wishing I hadn't done that. You oh, so
1: you got, an, you got like a second chance. I was like a total second yeah. chance. Did in the you same meet place. those same women who were talking about uh, the alto players? No, oh. no.
0: I think I just hung around the port and drank beer at the local McDonald's and um get beer at the mcdonald's oh right europe you can get beer at the mcdonald's yeah and um and then i was like new lease Man, i got a four month contract here you know so everything went smoothly beautiful <laughs> it was totally
1: <laughs> worth it that's a legendary story <laughs> is it okay no, i mean honestly like i i never heard it before yt told it to you <laughs> no man the, um the tenor player with the steve maglio you told me to say hi to him Dan
0: Pearson, Dan Pearson. <laughs> oh because I think I I went and crashed at his pad after that for a while okay because I didn't know where to go because I got, I got tossed yep I think okay. I stayed at Dan's in Manhattan for a little while okay and then I went on the next one or something.
1: I see him on all the, the big band ones that we do he's usually the in that band
0: yeah yeah
1: but it was funny because I told him we were in Delaware in August and on that yeah. gig and you said we were talking on the way down yeah and I think yeah. we had the idea to do this on that phone call right right and you said, say hello. And I said, hello. And he goes, he was, like you said you weren't sure what is.
0: Yeah, because we had a falling out. Yeah. yeah. We had a dumb like argument, uh-huh. like you know, and then we just didn't, we were like little kids didn't talk to each other for yeah. a little while. Yeah. He said something I didn't like. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That's offensive. And I was like, well, fuck you, man. And he and he was like, well, fuck you, good riddance. And I was like, you know, we're like little kids, a guy that I've known since I was 13, you know? Mm. And, um, <laughs> now we're friends again yeah cool
1: <laughs> you told me to tell him hi and i did and then and and, and he's like he just goes into that story <laughs> so oh that's oh okay i thought t told you that story. no, oh. no it did, it did. but yeah, he wasn't it. saying it in a bad way it was sort of like a, the legend of the you know it's pretty Dick, punk rock It was pretty pretty awesome
0: okay i mean you know i don't know how complimentary it is My reputation, because you don't find like the Okazakis of the world pulling stunts like that. (laughs) I think that says more about the Okazakis of the world.
1: (laughs) He's not watching this.
0: There's no way he's
1: watching this. (laughs) You don't know. He might be. He he might be stalking. I don't know. He might love your playing. He might might be waiting for the invite. You know. You might be. Get the mink and the monk bump.
2: Yeah.
0: It could
1: be. It happens. We yeah. might
2: get really popular. Or you might
1: soon. be banned from every cruise ship, depending on who's watching this. And every podcast. And every podcast. No, it was wonderful to have you on the podcast. Oh, and yeah. I would have loved to have been a bandmate during that, whatever you want to call that. that was, that's an. I I will cherish that the thought of what that was like live.
0: Well, getting the six o'clock knock in the morning was not to be cherished.
1: No. Did you, did you stay up through the night or did you finally crash? Oh, I crashed. <laughs>
0: okay. I, I didn't see anything wrong with what I did. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> and then my girlfriend woke me up at 6 a.m. and I was like, what's all that r- ruckus and fuss? And Your ride's here. <laughs> yep.
1: Pretty much.
0: Pretty much.
1: Where was this? This was in Europe. Yeah. And they just left you where they found you. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you, you had? You were responsible to get home. Yeah, of and, course. And your girlfriend was stayed on the ship. Oh yeah, she didn't love
0: you that much. No, she was very upset. <laughs> um, I remember the drummer Christian. He kind of came around, like, and just kind of vibe me. Like, gave me this look. Like, you idiot. A guy who had been very close to getting sacked himself, but never yeah. actually did like I did. And he handed me a couple of hundred bucks. Oh, which was really nice of him. He just and he didn't say anything the drummer from the jazz trio yeah he gave me that look like and then, and then he just walked out. Here, you might need this and you're an
1: idiot and you flew home yeah you, you were able to afford a, a plane ticket home
0: well yeah i had oodles of cash man did you oh okay <laughs> no I, I didn't i didn't i don't know how well you were it doing wouldn't that. make for a good story if i <laughs> was left high and dry
1: on a pier i well i've seen that happen too like i said that guy got caught with not a lot of pot, but the German Shepherd sat down outside his room, and oh. they, and, and they they barge in and they they arrest you yeah. in Jamaica and leave yeah. you, there. and they tell you when you when you board the ship, don't. Cocaine was big in those in mm-hmm. those ports. Mm-hmm. Don't don't do it. They basically were like, we'll leave you where we found you. you know? Nobody
0: and, followed those rules on the ships. So I was if cocaine was huge on the ships. Really? Yeah. Well.
1: Yeah. Well, in in my I took them seriously with those not not that i was looking to buy cocaine in the port in jamaica but you know yeah. it was uh I'm, I'm sure you'd be lucky if it was actual <clears throat> cocaine by the time you know they, they could see you're getting off a ship and that's when you're accosted by everybody mm-hmm. anyway they will arrest you and, and throw you in a i it's just just mm-hmm. not the thought of that was not something i was definitely.
0: we all did it anyway <laughs> <laughs> dancers <laughs> girls with with pen caps and you you wouldn't believe what they what they came up with.
1: I would actually. I I did the the most horrible things you could do physically to your body. Dancers were doing those things. Like I, they had all the worst habits I had ever seen. Like yeah. worse than the musicians. Yeah, way worse. The smoking and drinking. Like and they they
0: are they look like Greek gods and goddesses. Yeah, because I because um they would work it all out at the rehearsal. <laughs> they would have their <laughs> rehearsal from like twelve to two and sweat it all out and. Yep, and then. Uh, and then you ruined it all by quoting,
1: by <laughs> quoting Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis.
2: <laughs> well, he could afford to get out of that situation because he nailed it for, what, two months before that? <laughs> yeah, that
0: didn't really hold any weight. there.
2: No, that's why you had the money to get home. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I had the money, man.
1: Beautiful. I wish I was there. I, I find that that's as good a note to end on as any, unless okay. you have some questions that you didn't. No, get I just answer. you
0: know we're we're here joking around, and, and and Brad's actually has like serious musical. Yeah, yeah, no, questions. I wanted to make sure that he that you were, which I. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to say about jazz music. It's it's not an easy. Would Would you say it's not like an easy art form to 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 deliver the goods all the time? It's,
1: it's it's hard if your survival depends on you to like it's a very difficult the arts in general in the United States I don't I can't speak to other countries mm-hmm. but you are completely severed and on your you have to completely make your own existence mm-hmm. to, so when you were talking about 90 bucks split between a trio mm-hmm. uh quartet. I, so, a quart, so, <laughs> quartet even worse, even worse. So, so uh so 23.50 roughly each right mm-hmm. Is it roughly yeah uh or 22 i don't know whatever it works out uh like i when i would play in harlem it was 60 dollars. we played 10 to 4 mm-hmm. and i spent $35 to take a cab home at 4:30 in the morning because I didn't want to get on the A train mm-hmm. at uh on 125th and take it to 207th with a you know in a with an amp and a guitar. I just didn't I don't know. I didn't I didn't like riding the train that late with with Who does? with a couple thousand bucks in equipment. But so I I don't even know if I broke even on those gigs. That's all I'm saying. Sure. I, the joy that I felt playing is priceless. Yep. But there comes a point where you you have to. I was a little bit further in the hole every month, so that part doesn't. When it comes to playing jazz or any kind of music, it's hard to survive. So it's hard to it's it's life is not pleasant when you're constantly struggling. Right and, right. and behind that eight ball more and more each month.
0: That's that's exactly right because um, you can be having as much fun on these bandstands and dealing with music and everything, but your 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 life situation is filled with so much unhappiness over trying to meet the demands of bills and stuff. It really gets in the way. And that was
1: when New York was much cheaper than it is now. Yeah, I know. You I've know? heard
0: all the stories about guys in the 70s, like, and their rent was $150 a month, and the gigs pay the same as they do now.
1: Yeah, yeah, the gigs in the 70s. <laughs> I, I used to talk to Frank Luther about this. I don't know if you, you know him, the bass player. He lives in Woodstock no he played with uh in the 70s or the 60s was with chet baker's band and t and i used to go to his house and just play great great bass player um but he said that, that he would play five six nights a week and each gig paid 150 bucks and this was in the late 70s mm-hmm. now we're splitting 90 for it's it's hard you know it's hard to uh yeah so, so to answer that question um i i don't i don't i can't I, it was too upsetting to try to survive that way. i w I'm not built for that.
0: Me neither. I'm uh, not
1: built to be that broken on the, on the edge. I can't do it.
0: I know. I'm, I'm, uh I, I just got my act together. I'm, I'm a teacher assistant at an elementary school. Awesome. So I'm doing that, you know, five days a week and, and it took me a year to get certified and a bunch of courses and an exam and to get familiar with that whole field. And um, and I landed a gig in Connecticut, and the salary is actually um, more than lucrative is what my idea of lucrative is than I, anything I've ever had before. Yeah. Plus it comes with job security. Yeah. And I, I'm 43, I kind of wanted, I was looking for something like this. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of over the private music school teaching mm-hmm. kids how to play uh, Siciliani and Allegro for their Nismith thing. I
1: did that at PDS. Just like yeah. <laughs> it seems like we had exactly the same things, yeah. I was just slightly because I'm older, yeah just slightly uh yeah, but the it, same footsteps, it seems like yeah,
0: grinding it out on gigs and and private music schools were i mean, I thought let's try to you know um make things a little less you know difficult and it's it's working right now, you know, beautiful,
1: the moment for me that really scared me the deepest like it didn't I was in my twenties, so you don't really get it's just the way of life when you're trying to survive, but the banking crisis in 08, which wasn't a crisis for the scumbags that robbed everybody, but for the rest of us. Yep, um, I remember. And everything that I had worked for, I was doing however many gigs a year, maybe 100, 125, 150 gigs a year, and uh, I had about 15 students a week, and in in, in like three months time, gone and it wow. was all cash you know like whatever it was you added it all together and it was enough but when it all fell apart you realize like I have nothing there was no it doesn't matter that I built up a stable a, a studio of students and that I had all these gigs the gigs stopped and this lesson stopped and I was that was the most that's when I um, it was right around there I started doing the, getting ready to do a master's degree right right yeah. around then it's so about the idea of it and then it took me and then i i did a couple different adjunct teaching jobs and then i met brad at that adjunct teaching job mm-hmm. uh and then uh i knew that i couldn't i love I, I do love teaching but i knew that i couldn't survive doing adjunct work so i knew that in order to to get a more permanent position you got to have at least a master's degree which is why at 43 i enrolled for a master's program which was not which was, which was an awkward feeling
0: to say the least. Yeah, but you 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 uh you blew through it with a plum, I'm sure.
1: That I I'm except for that one except for the the story. <laughs> we were there, that was a, oh, right. that was a terrible day. That was day 1. Yes. That was literally day 1 fall first day of classes. Oh, was it? That was like the first yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a rough way to... Every worst nightmare feeling that you could possibly have came true wow. in, in three <laughs> well, minutes. I know about
0: it secondhand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we could certainly go through that story, but that might be, tag on another.
0: Uh, That's okay. I think I know it. Yeah,
1: I think you know it. Yeah. yeah. But it was same thing. Now I have a, I, I can breathe. So doing a trio gig, I, I don't really... For the gigs that I really want to do, I don't even care what the money is. Me neither and then and I'm very happy to do those yeah. gigs and and love love to I'm gonna play with Jay Anderson and Tony Jefferson for three hours on Saturday and that's
0: gonna be great because they're both amazing
1: amazing and it's just fun and I don't have to worry about the uh where the I don't even if I'm being honest I don't know what it pays
0: right and I've never heard Tony and Jay play oh so that's got to be yeah I'm heavy
1: yeah well uh I, we made a record I, I'll give you some of it
0: Oh, I don't have yeah, it. I never, I
1: never published it, but it, it was. It's. I have twelve takes, twelve oh, tracks or that. I got to hear that. Sure. Could yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's the. That's. I don't have to. When I don't have to think about that, I'm so much. I enjoy the moment. Of, oh well,
0: that's going to be this Saturday. Yeah, I got to
1: come.
2: Well, you, uh,
1: it'd be great to see you. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. By the time this airs, it'll already be over. Yeah. But yes.
2: <laughs> see when we get it out.
1: Yeah, this will come but, out. I think in June. 2023? Yeah. So We'd like to stay on top of it
0: yeah. Oh, okay. I'll watch out for it.
1: <laughs> no, it'll be out in uh, two weeks, probably. It oh, takes okay. us time to turn it around and uh,
0: it, it, whatever. Hey, are you going to get rid of some of the uh, no, it's less all desirable? In. Whatever it, it's, you want. It's all no, if there's anything.
1: I'm you the want. least desirable part. <laughs> you,
2: yeah, the... you can crop it. <laughs> um, but no, it really is all informative. And like, like I was trying to say, is that. The you know even though I see it, the path there is so much subjectivity to it that to having conversations like this clears yeah. up. I feel like every time I talk to Matt, I feel like some of the best lessons I've had. We, I when I actually took some guitar lessons with Matt. Oh right. For the hell of it, when I was in college, we I feel like the talking was honestly more beneficial than the guitar playing, and I feel like yeah, a lot of that is just finding where sure. where it's okay to break out of like what's technically correct yeah like,
0: and that's the funny thing about music even just thinking about it
1: yeah and i'll tie this whole thing and the people that i love the most is the hang where well, you can hang and and like i grew up with that my lessons with my first guitar teachers and uh hang even david berkman and david uh mm-hmm. uh bruce bard and uh jack jack wilkins like jack wilkins and my father played together like when they were younger so when we hung out we just played tunes and talked like it wasn't there was no competitive thing and there was no there wasn't it was all just what tune you want to play that's all and then if right. i didn't know it jack would play it and i would learn it from him or right. eddie would play it and i would learn it from them and that that's how it was it was we were joined yep. there was a camaraderie there was a kinship yeah it's essential and i thrive on that and when it's this thing where you're trying like when you told me that now what are you going to do deposit like that's terrible
0: <laughs> that doesn't sound fun no at, i at that that day I, I did not want to open a restaurant with robert glasser and reggie workman <laughs> You know,
1: (laughs) I remember I had uh, I was playing in an ensemble uh, that Dwayne Broadnax was running. Do you know him? The drummer great drummer, Dwayne Cook Broadnax. And he did this thing on the ride cymbal that screwed us all up. And we were like, what just happened? And then he stopped and he took the time to explain what it was and that it was something that we could hear Tony Williams do where uh, you took the triplet and made the triplet a quarter note where you built your ride pattern on. So it sounds like you're slowing everything down. Uh But he explained it to us and took the time. And then we spent the whole time him doing that to us until we felt like it was more natural and and we could hang with it. But it was like a learning thing. It was incredible to hear. Yours doesn't sound, (laughs) yours sounds horrible. I would have walked home feeling so bad about myself after that. (laughs) Uh, I don't
0: remember how I felt. I just remember being like, wow. I was more in awe of what that guy was doing. Oh okay. okay cool you know <laughs> yeah i probably went off onto the next thing sort of uh unscathed actually i was just It maybe in retrospect it's a little bit weird yeah talking about it i was still I, I don't know i didn't care as much yeah
1: yeah i was very sensitive about stuff like that mm-hmm. so like when mm-hmm. i felt like somebody was undermining i just kind of i walked away oh wow yeah well yeah i didn't i couldn't handle it yeah, it, it was. It was kind of like it was. It felt like it was like like, like it was heartbreaking for me. Yeah, it was, it, I'm not talking about people kidding around. I'm just, like when people were mean. I I don't like you do
2: to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm smiling when I say these
1: horrible things to you. No, but it's like I uh, uh, it's I need to feel I need to feel supported and that we that we that there's a I just need that
0: yeah well maybe you should throw a little more of that support his way sometimes I'm
1: I'm a a ginger I'm asking for (laughs) it it's true ginger
3: (laughs) I'm kidding (coughs) Um.
2: no but it, it comes through Matt hanging with you musically oh. that love for that kind of thing. And I'm glad we're making more episodes and doing a podcast. Again. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to talk to you about that, but I'm going to be making some more episodes,
1: <laughs> but you're going to be home. Oh, I'll send you the link. when I write it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love it. No, I just want to play and have fun.
2: Yeah. Likewise. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, if the, that's what we're going to wrap it, it's, it's been a pleasure meeting and talking to you, Mike. Likewise, man. And, uh, I hope I get to catch a show soon. I I loved listening to your albums. Um, oh, thanks. Oh, yeah, Packadillo's Arm, we didn't even get arm. to talk about, but I, I wanted us to plug it here. Oh, it's all or, right. And any other projects that you want people to look out for? Um,
0: I'm playing with a pop band that's um, a very interesting group called the Nicotine Dolls. Well, and um, I'm going to be playing with them um, next Tuesday night at Rockwood Music Hall. Oh, cool. And it's not jazz. The bass player who co-founded, I believe the band, is on Peccadillo's arm and asked me to be a part of it and do my do some saxophone duties. Awesome. And I laid down a solo on their latest single last week. Cool. So um, the Nicotine Dolls, you know, it a, the guy was on America's Got Talent and stuff like that. Very so cool. It's not jazz, but I've got some work with them. Nice. And, um, should so be playing for crowds, yeah, and um, Pecadil was on that record. I just wanted to do a record in that vein of original music, some odd time signatures. I just wanted to get that out of my system and um and, um, I had some those original tunes I wanted to realize, yeah, and I just had to have one record uh, under under my belt as a leader, for Christ's sake, at least one, <laughs> and um, I had a great time making it, and those guys I had great camaraderie with, yeah and um, what well, I was saying with uh, with uh, Dave we were we were gonna yeah. play here
3: yeah.
1: before COVID
2: oh right, right? I we know gonna... Dave I've played Dave Berger I've played oh, okay. some gigs with him over the years yeah. and he's a great great yeah, guy yeah my good For... buddy
0: and um, and so that was a lot of fun and uh, um, I got one review in Chronogram <laughs> oh
1: oh I read that review that was a that was a stellar review though yeah that was a very good review uh, it yeah,
3: was, it was
0: funny, and uh, <laughs> and um, you know, then I want to do another one, maybe with you, uh, and um, and I want to play tunes. I think this time, oh standards, yeah, oh cool, and maybe some Charlie Parker and some blues. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. You know, because you did that too. You did a funk record, and then you did more of a standards record, right? Well, I did, so to speak.
1: The the uh, they were in this vein of standards. We only did one stand. You talk about that, Jonathan? Yeah yeah, 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 we did there's eight originals on there but they're all the in that look, late I, 50s yeah, yeah they're all in that late 50s blue note you know B-bop. what I mean. kind of, yeah. yes yeah, yeah. That, and i wanted i want the same reasons i yeah. wanted to do get that out and then realized i can't do this again just because it's expensive right you know and it's a lot in it and you know the the seven people that enjoyed it really enjoyed it <laughs> thank you mom uh <laughs> right. uh but right. and I don't mean that that's just a, that's fine. I, I I'm very happy with that. I love that album. It was and it was, it was really the time I got to experience playing with uh with Nusbaum and and Jay and to watch them work in the studio was absolutely magical. Wow. Because they didn't we didn't we just talked over each one. Mm-hmm. Jay looked at it. He corrected any mistakes immediately that I had made in yep. the chart, and then said, uh, "Adam said we admit, they would just make. Say, hey, let's do this here. Let's alright, Let's do a take." And it was like it was like being in arms of, of, of yeah, the angels.
0: Pro is like, unbelievable. It was like having Martin Scorsese as your director. <laughs> it was really that
1: cool. Like yeah. that's what it felt like. Yeah. And then we we did it all in two four hour sessions. Oh really? Yep. Yeah. No, that, that was it. We did when we we just with the editing was this matter a matter of. Which take do we take? And that was it. Mm -hmm. It was an all live. It was amazing. But just, I'm so happy I got a chance to do that with those gentlemen. But I can't, I would love to make two or three more, but I I just, I can't afford to do that. Yeah. So I'm glad I got to do that one.
3: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So for the same reason, it's funny. It's like, like we're seven years behind. Like what year did you do? If you tell me it was, it was a 2018.
0: Yeah. 2017
1: yeah it was 2011 so when we're i did this like, yeah, we were like literally like doing the same things for the same reasons wow isn't that wild yeah yeah absolutely yeah i think we pressed it in 2013 but i think we did it in 2012 something okay. but i mean it's funny we're for the same reasons that's
0: crazy yeah a lot in common yeah we don't want to piss him off and start like you know, <laughs> scratching each other's backs too much <laughs> I'm gonna get upset.
1: <laughs> Is anybody else thinking about the wolf in uh, in uh, in uh, uh, shit? Uh, uh, Pulp fiction. When... Let's not start sucking. <laughs> into the dicks, a... <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: That's good old Harvey good Keitel. Good
1: old Harvey Keitel. As much as a hero as any of the other guys. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All we there? Right. Yep. There.
2: I'm having a good time. I'm man. having a great time. How about but these are all great notes to end on. Yeah. Cool. Thank you again. Oh, you know, last note, weirdest note. First thing mm-hmm. I noticed when you walked in here, yeah. the pattern of that button-up shirt is the exact pattern of, like, my first childhood, like, blanket. So weird. It weirds me out, but that's your shirt.
0: Sure. You really want to end on that? <laughs> yeah. That's,
2: it's... Just, Thanks. <laughs> There's no useful way for me to bring that up, that's, so that's
3: terrific, man. Do you
2: mind if Brad uh, just curls up
1: on your chest and, and has a little nap? You, you know. were the giving us shit before. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my god. At least we kept it to
1: music, you sick bastard. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well.
2: Oh, perfect notes and <laughs> no, all, right. right all right. Thank you so much, hey, My pleasure. It was so a lot we, of fun.
1: We always do this, like directors think so on the on cube we're gonna mess it up maybe not anyway right. um till we meet again okay